Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 7th, 2021, and you're listening to episode number 489. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show is Mr. Bob Ryer. Can we do number 488 again? No, never again, ever. Joey Bertino is here. I'm off the show for one week. <laughs> Everything breaks down. Aaron Amos. It was a setup. It was. <laughs> and John Burkle is here, too. I don't even know what day it is anymore. I know. We were just here. We were just <laughs> our schedule. Our internal clocks for this podcast recording thing is uh, is all wibbly wobbly this week. So if any of us seem off our game, it's probably because we are. But Joey, <laughs> yeah. Joey's Joey's fresh as a daisy. You have fresh, the whole week off. Fresh as a daisy. We just started spring break. I'm sleeping all the time. <laughs> I'm going to the gym. I feel like I feel like a new man. There you go. There you go. Glad one of us is feeling it. Oh yeah. Uh speaking of feeling it, if you feel <laughs> Like messaging us, like sending us an audio message. I'm going to record you. I'm going to record you. I'm going to remind you every week until it happens that we want to hear from you for the 500th podcast. You can send a MP3 or wave file around like two minutes, something like that. Podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, let us know where, where does the show fit into your life? Mm. Where do you listen to it? How mm. do you download it? How would you find it? Mm. who's your favorite among mm. us mm. Mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna try, um, I'm gonna try to get my mom to send one in see if she oh, does yeah. she'll do one Dude, totally <laughs> she'll, be like, she'll be like what podcast <laughs> <laughs> all are welcome we wanted to try and do something a little different for this milestone episode and listen we'll work with what we get we will figure it out i have a plan all right but anyway 500 podcast podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com ask us a question tell us your thoughts and feelings all of that good stuff other than that you know that we have lightning rounds to do <laughs> there it is uh, <laughs> there's also a movie that came out a lot of movies came out but this one godzilla versus kong we're gonna talk about that for a little bit a few of us have seen it uh, there might be some more Nicolas Cage action going on later on in the show because one can never get enough. We've also got uh, trailers to talk about. Loki, Black Widow, a little movie coming out called Mainstream that I think looks cool. Joey's reaction to the trailer was a little lukewarm, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not taking it personally. 
<laughs> and, um, and I don't know, probably some other stuff will happen too. So let's find out. Are you are you all ready? Are you ready to do this? Yeah, Is my name Shazadam or what? <laughs> Shazadam! <laughs> Shazadam! All right. Um, God, you know what? All right, Screw I'll it. do it. I'm, <laughs> I, I was going to go, but you can go if you want. Yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, all right. <laughs> Joey, go for it. Okay, let's see. What do I got here on my list? <clears throat> Uh, I watched a little movie today, Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. Anybody watch this? It's so funny. It's exactly what you think. So for Teen Titans Go to the movies, if you'll recall, ended with that little post-credit tease when like the old like 2003 Teen Titans animation characters came on the screen and they were like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Are we crossing universes? Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans, the like directed video Cartoon Network movie. It's on Hulu now. You can watch it there. Um, it does that. It brings those Teen Titans Go little, I think they call them in the movie, they call them little bobble-headed baby versions oh. of these characters. And then it brings like the kind of more realistic versions that were like the first iteration of the animated Teen Titans on Cartoon Network, Those that, that version. And they do like their multiverse mashup kind of they do like the heroes fighting heroes bit uh they do later on i'll spoil it whatever they do like a little portals bit too from avengers and Endgame, where you get all these different iterations of teen titans too it is so much fun i every time i watch one of those like teen titans go little whether it's one of the films or like it's just on tv and i'll watch it it's so funny. Uh, the voice acting is great. What's really fun about the movie is that the voice actors will voice both characters. So like Tara Strong does both versions of Raven, you know? So it's like, she's just talking to herself. It's so much fun. If you're a fan of the Teen Titans uh, cartoon, watch it. Like I said, it's on Hulu. I watched that today. I had to add it to the list. The other thing, Silk number one dropped last week. Um, Cindy Moon uh, is an intrepid journalist, and she's also a spider-themed vigilante named Silk. Uh, and she's fighting in this new series a werewolf crime syndicate, I think. Why the heck not? It sounds awesome. It's written by novelist Maureen Gu, uh, who wrote a novel called I Believe in a Thing Called Love, and it's drawn by Takeshi Miyazawa, who we know from books like Runaways, Ms. Marvel, and Mech Cadet U. Um, I've been a big fan of the Silk character ever since those Dan Slott, Robbie Thompson days. It's been a while since she's had a solo series, but I've really loved her role over in Greg Pak's ongoing Agents of Atlas saga. Uh, as a foil to Amadeus Cho and the gang. She's a really cool character with a really compelling backstory. If you're not familiar with her, go check her stuff out. Uh, it's it's really, really awesome. Um, I like the kind of like journalist moonlighting as a vigilante conceit. It's such like classic superhero comic storytelling. Uh, it's such an integral part of those stories. And it's a nice throwback for a character that didn't get a chance to live that life because she's relatively new. She's only been around for maybe six, seven years at this point. Um, but yeah, Silk number one, definitely worth checking out too. I also read Captain America and the Falcon. Uh, because of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I've been going back and I read the uh, Sam Wilson as Captain America uh, run. I went back even further now and I read Captain America and the Falcon. This was Christopher Priest started with Bart Sears. Bart Sears left that run pretty quickly. They brought <laughs> Joe Bennett on. Andrea DeVito does a, a, a arc. Greg Ciccini does an issue. And Dan, Dan Jurgens does an issue too. Um, it's about 14 issues. Uh, came out in 2004, 2005. 
Um, it was, it was published because volume four of caps solo series was under the Marvel Knights imprint at the time. So if y'all recall, the Marvel Knights imprint was like not in continuity unless it was good enough that people wanted it in continuity. (laughs) So like, they were like, we don't know what to do. So Chris priest was like, I'll do a captain America and Falcon series. So they did that. Um, it's interesting. Uh, there are some pretty bold choices and some pretty bold visual choices and some character choices that are also interesting. Uh, it's not the best. It's not the best. I'll, I'll put that out there. Uh, it's funny because like in 2006, after the run was done, Christopher Priest did an interview and he was like, dude, I wrote that book and I don't even know what happened in it. Like it's, there's some stuff in there. Like the relationship between cap and, and, and Falcon is always great. And what's really interesting about Captain America and the Falcon is it's right in the middle of the disassembled thing. So there's a long stretch of it where like Wanda is like, messing with everyone and some bad things are happening and everyone's like not acting like themselves, or at least that's what they kind of think. So there's some like interesting things that kind of reverberate throughout the universe. Um, and you know, Chris priest is writing it. There are some of his black Panther stuff comes into it. Um, which is interesting because that black Panther run, I think was also Marvel Knights, but <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, and, and some of the kind of more racial questions are, are brought up in the book too. So, um, there are things that are like cool from it. There's this whole arc in it of a anti cap, uh, the like Navy seals, like create a version of captain America who like has no uh, reservations about doing the dirty work, you know? And, and uh, (laughs) it's pretty twisted. Um, But you know, it's on Marvel unlimited. You go read it if you want, especially if you're into the, the Falcon and winter soldier stuff. All right. Last thing I'll talk about, and this might take a while. Sorry, timer, Shazadam. Okay. Dude, there um, has been a timer for like 10 episodes. Yeah, you know, I figured. Uh, all right. So uh, I read this series. It's a Comixology original. It's called The Final Girls. It's five issues. Um, it's by Kara Ellison, uh, who's making her comic book writing debut. She's a film writer. Uh, Sally Caterino's on art. Uh, Gab Contreras, uh, Chevelle Peterson, Joe McGill, and it's edited by Katie West. So I was um, going through Comixology last week looking for something to read because uh, if I'm being 100% honest, as you can tell from me reading Captain America and the Falcon, I've been having difficulty finding something like to really hook me. You know, we've been reading a bunch of series for the show and I'm into those, but something like totally new and, and surprising. I just haven't found something to really hook me. So then I saw this book called Final Girls on the list and I, and I saw it was a Comixology, Comixology original. Um which I discovered you could read via Comixology Unlimited, which I discovered you could read via Kindle Unlimited, which mm-hmm. I discovered I could read because you have an Amazon <laughs> Prime account. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could just, it's crazy. I did not know that. So now I'm like going through and I'm like, oh, let me check out all these Comixology originals. Anyway, uh, Final Girls, I thought it was going to be about, you know, something horror related or whatever. I don't know. It's a Final Girls trope, what have you. Um, anyway, that's not what this book is about. The basic setup is we got the superheroes who are basically 
they all stop being superheroes because the government comes a knocking and they want them to work for free or work as part of the government. Prior to that, these heroes would like save the day and then file an invoice <laughs> and like charge people for their like super heroic services. Um, it's all very heroes for hire. None of that is important. We fast forward six years. Most of the heroes have retired or gone to get day jobs or whatever, except for like there's this one Iron Man-esque like tech billionaire named Clay who like still gets to save the day. He's an asshole, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, most of our story focuses on a set of women. Hence the final girls, Kogarashi, Bavanchi, Selkie. Uh, Kogarashi has like these um, empathy powers. Like she can like take your emotions from you. Um, Bavanchi is like an immortal vampire. Uh, Selkie it can transform like Mystique. And Ash, who like I think has like shadow powers, whatever. Anyway, um, they uh, used to be heroes. Now they're struggling with their lives and everything that it entails, relationships, jobs, friendships, whatever. The instigating incident for this series comes when one of the characters, an invincible immortal woman named uh, Scott, Scott, I forgot, I forgot to tell you that they all, they all immigrate to Scotland because the laws are a little bit laxer there. So everyone has a Scottish accent. It's crazy. She's a, she's an immortal. She's an immortal woman warrior of myth and legend, like a la wonder woman. Um, she comes to the bar covered in bruises and tells the women that clay, the iron man, asshole billionaire from before assaulted her. Um, our narrator and our main character, uh, Kogarashi Cole, is an empath, confirms her story, starting off a comics miniseries and a series of events that is probably one of the best explorations of the kind of Me Too discourse around sexual assault, male privilege, and the responsibilities of the community to hold predators accountable. The first issue, I was like, okay, I'm into this setup with all the superhero stuff, and I thought it was going to be like the authority or the boys or whatever. But the way that uh, in which the women's experience consumes their storyline and moves us away from kind of that superheroic story uh, which is deliberate, by the way, as at one point, one of the characters like literally says, like, even though we're superheroes, this is all our stories ever become just being exploited or being used or being um, uh, 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 attacked for not being strong enough or being too strong or what have you. Um, while the men get to do whatever they want with their powers, it just becomes an astounding exploration of all of that. Uh, the final two issues in particular are incredibly affecting as all of our characters come to grips with what power means. And if they've been using their powers to help the right people. Um, additionally, Ellison explores the role of the media in all of this, including kind of like backup material, exploring the world of the comic through like gossip websites and social media posts, etc. cetera. Uh, that of course, like, match the representations or, uh, that come like, with like celebrity culture and all the kind of gendered elements of how we talk about um, famous people, quote unquote, and the privileged in, in this world. Uh, the title, The Final Girls, is the name that the media gives the women when they flee to Scotland after quitting the hero game. But the women reclaim that title by the end as they kind of survive the traumas of living in this patriarchal, superheroic world together as best they can. Um Overall, like I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It's like brilliantly crafted. It's compelling. The art is fantastic. Uh, and, and it explores the issues of sexual assault, gender representation, feminism, and moral responsibility in the modern media driven landscape. Um, 
it's really awesome. And I was not expecting it to be about what it was about. And I was totally, totally taken with it. Um, it's really great. And all five issues are on Comixology Unlimited. Uh, I think it, I think it dropped last week. I think they dropped all five. I want to say that's me. Just a damn. All right. First things first. Yeah. We're going to talk about this free on Comixology, Amazon Prime thing. What? Okay. <laughs> I get when I when I buy comics on Comixology. Yeah. I go through Comixology. Yeah. Okay. So that the that's where my comic books live. Yeah. The Amazon login for Comixology no, is a no, whole other no, kettle of fish. No, no, no. I read the final girls on the Kindle app. Right. But mm. okay. That's all what, right. That's what I did. And I, I was totally unexpected because I was like, oh, maybe I can buy it on Comixology. Like I don't have the Comixology unlimited subscription. Um, but then it said this thing about like read on Comixology or on Kindle. And I was like, oh, I have the Kindle app. I read books like on my Kindle app. I download them and things like that. So then I went onto my Kindle app and I went to like Kindle Unlimited or whatever. And I searched up Final Girls and there it was. Okay, because I'll, I'll be very curious to see how that works and how that happens. Because I've run into issues where if you're trying to cross-pollinate the accounts, you have to log no, in a specific way yeah. and nothing that I have lives there. No, so no, no, it no. ends up being all separated. So it's it's not my Comixology account at all. It's my Kindle account my Kindle, like Amazon prime, whatever it is. I don't, I don't freaking know. But all I'm saying is if final girls is there, read it. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to, I'm going to read it anyway. I had my eye on it um, before you brought it to the show, but like, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how that works out because are you saying that you get a comiXology unlimited account with your Amazon? I'm saying that some of the comiXology unlimited books are also on Kindle unlimited. If you do okay. a search in Amazon, it'll show up and you can read it on the Amazon platform. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Even though your accounts yeah. are unlinked. But I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out because like I, I would have probably got it on Comixology anyway, but I was like, I have this subscription. I have this thing. And if it works out, that but now I'm also excited because now I know I can get a lot of the Comixology originals because of my Amazon account. So like I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go back and I'll check out some of these Comixology originals that I've kind of like let fall away because I was like, oh, I don't want to. I already spend money on my Comixology, like I don't need to add something. But now, if I, I have this account, I, I think I might check out more books, and I'd be excited about those books because, like I was saying, like I've kind of lost some steam on a lot of these these like monthly books that I've been reading. So going back into those kind of archives, I think might be exciting for me. Um, but Final Girls was such a surprise and and so so great. What is that that Chip Zdarsky book? I'm trying to think of it for the last. Oh, like, of uh, 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 flame out, burn out, walk about. Um, <laughs> after no, after uh, lift, after lift, after lift. Go when you the next time you log in, look for after lift. Okay, I know I couldn't remember the title, but it doesn't mean that that <laughs> book's not a lot of fun. It's a good. It's a good one. There's a lot of good stuff on Comicsology. I know that Pete, some people were very upset when they first established that, um, but since that time, they've they've hosted a lot of great creators and have you know. I don't think to look there too often, 
uh, it would it would be probably more of a thing if I had the Comixology Unlimited, but I don't, and I tried, and it did not work out so well because of the login, logout Comixology mm-hmm. or Amazon setup mm-hmm. because I just I want all of my stuff in one place. I don't want to have to switch accounts just to read something specific. And uh, But that's just me being a brat and whatever, and they should just unify it for me. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You what? didn't. You're. You can log in. Your Comixology is not unified. Because I went from my Comixology a few years ago to Amazon, and it, it brought everything over. Yeah. All right. Well, they might have changed it, but I know that I bought a book through the Amazon Comixology one time, and then I had to go through a whole rigmarole with them. And they're like, "You get this one time. We'll do it this one time. But after this." Oh, mine like, did it. Mine did it automatically. <laughs> All right, well, look, dude, it was a long time yeah, ago. I, just, I have I over five thousand books. Completely weird. Back in 1995, when Steve tried to merge <laughs> his accounts, <laughs> when he was on dial-up with Juno. <laughs> it's me. It was the same night I turned into Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, call back to a joke you'll probably never hear on the show from the the, the pre-show pre-show banter. I don't know if I recorded that or not. I might have. Uh, if I did, I'll I'll have it in the, the after credits. <laughs> All right, let's see here. What else? What else did you did you uh, bring us, Joey? I want to read that final girls. Captain America sounds like a was a little bit of a bust. Uh, I mean, like, look, I'm big Steve fan, big Sam fan. They're... You a big Zemo fan now? Uh, after the recent episode, yeah, yeah, he's fine. The last, the, the last what? episode, the last episode. I liked the last episode. I loved the first two episodes a lot. Um, the third episode of the show, I felt, was very much a third episode of a six issue, six episode series. Like it felt like, all right, we got to move some pieces around, and the big stuff will come next week. Um, that's that's what it felt like. Uh, the the Zemo the Zemo stuff in it, I did find very entertaining. Um, it didn't bother you. Moves, it He's bothered those... me that they're making him like nice or like likable. Well, no, that, bo- that bugs me because it's the opposite of what they did in the Black Panther and Killmonger actually had a point. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, um, the thing is that even in civil war, like Zemo, is a very compelling character here. I think they are just adding another layer to that. Uh, I guess that might be bringing in too much of Zemo from the comic. Yeah. Cause he's versus, awful. Yeah. Yeah. That's where that's, <laughs> that's my, I think that's my problem. It's hard when he put like, on the mask. Yeah. And, it's yeah. hard when like Zemo in the comic is a literal Nazi. Yeah. And yeah. then Zemo in the series is not. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's where my, my problem is coming. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and but the Falcon. The, I think the other thing about Falcon and the the sorry Captain America and the Falcon that Christopher Priest does is they have like that anti Cap antagonist for the first few issues, and then and then it's like the bureaucracy is the bad guy, like like this like rear admiral of the navy is the bad guy, and it's like I don't really like this. And then Modok shows up, and you're like, eh, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts here. <laughs> And then it ends. It just kind of like ends because, well, as I kind of, well, because what happens is, so 
Fal- Captain America and the Falcon is 2004, 2005. Ed Brubaker's Captain America premieres in 2005. So once that book starts, like that's the Captain America book. And, mm-hmm. and it just kind of like takes over the, the, the mythos there. Um, because John Del Rey or whoever was doing the, the, the Marvel Knights one, um, that ended. The other thing yeah. is like books like Captain America and the Falcon and those, some of those Marvel Knights books, like they are such a product of their time in that they are very much like a post nine 11, like yeah. the bad guys are everywhere. What's a terrorist? Like every book was about that. Like every book was like, if you start to see a terrorist in everywhere, then everybody's a bad guy. And it was about surveillance and da, 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 and da, da, da. And I get it. Like, it's very much what the time is. And that's in this book too. Like Steve and anti Steve, the guy doesn't even get a name. He's just like a black haired Steve Rogers. It's very weird. Like he, like they have a whole conversation where he's like, he's like, Steve, like you have these like old ideals, world war two ideals of like, you know, freedom and, and the democracy and hope. But what people want now is safety and security and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and Steve's like, you know, if you, if you start seeing bad guys in them, everybody becomes them, you know? And it's like, okay, I get it. It's 2004. Like those, like that is very much a, a kind of like, narrative thread from that era and this book is very very much like a product of that yeah captain america marvel knights captain america that that ended up in the hands of chuck austin and that yes. went, that went bad yeah uh, that that usually happens when chuck austin takes that, on, that's on a that's book. that's a theme <laughs> i think marvel knights started out strong and then it puttered out because black panther got moved over to marvel proper well so did daredevil yeah so did daredevil and all i think the yeah and when joe casada became editor-in-chief that just kind of wrapped up yeah yeah fascinating mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a it's interesting steve you read silk though right I did read Silk. I enjoyed Silk a great deal. I uh, it was good. I like the the kind of classic robbery happening at the beginning to start us off. I was very pleased that I didn't look at the artist roster for the book before I opened it. I just kind of picked it up and started reading it. And from that very first page, I was like, no, Takeshi Miyazawa. Is that Ian Herring on colors? Oh, Marvel, you're you're being kind to me today. Thank you. Um, I'm excited for this. Had you read Silk before? Yeah, yeah, I did. I think I fell off of it at, uh, somewhere along the line. It, it went for a while. I think we all read it during mm-hmm. Spider-Women. When, cause, yes, because Spider Women we also read for like one of the award shows one year because it was freaking great, and I think we were all reading like Silk, and then was it Dennis Hopeless's Spider Woman? Was that what? Yes, was yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Like that was happening, and like uh, uh, Spider Gwen, Spider Gwen was yeah. just happening then too. So like I think we were all on those like Lady Spider books for mm-hmm. a while, and then and then I think Silk. Um, relaunched or renumbered or did something. And I think we all kind of just. Yeah. I had, yeah. I had a long time. I really enjoyed what was going on and it, my shop was actually sold out of silk. Nice. So that was a good thing. So it's good to hear good things. I'll have to wait for the second printing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little more 
uh, violent than I'd anticipated. Uh, like, certainly not on her behalf, but um, in like like a, a, a crime scene setup. I'm saying Silk's hardcore man. She was like she was like you know uh, kept in that like adamantium cage for her for six years or whatever like she's got a pretty hardcore backstory yeah i like this uh this super hipster reporter dude that is kind of you know uh letting her carve her own path i thought that was pretty cool Mm -hmm. and uh but yeah man like when she walks into that crime scene i was like whoa this Mm -hmm. is um Mm -hmm. some Mm -hmm. stuff went down in this room but yeah i mean the the creative team so far is is really great and uh, it's got some weird stuff going on right at the end mm-hmm. that I was reading. I'm like, am I reading the same book? Like, what is going on with these earpieces and this like this creature that's all of a sudden just having a civilized conversation? And I don't know. It's it's pretty wild. I'm I'm looking forward to reading more of it. I, I was really uh, I was really taken by it. It's good stuff. All right, let's see. Uh, you got me to read the final girls. I'm going to figure that out. Teen Titans, Teen Titans always. Oh, it's so good. Dude, my, I need to see this. My favorite thing in the world is the scene where Teen Titans and Teen Titans go to the movies where they go to Jor-El in the, uh, the Fortress of Solitude or where, wherever it is. Maybe it's not the Fortress of Solitude. On, on, on Krypton. On Krypton. And he's like, then they're showing him how to play the crystals <laughs> in order to save the planet. And they start with like that, uh, uh, that song and they're all bobbing their heads. I love that moment. Well, so much. you will be pleased to hear that there are not one, but two musical numbers in this as well. Hell yeah. Awesome. One of which, as Beast Boy says, is to pat it out. As in, <laughs> we got to extend this runtime. <laughs> So we can get that that feature film label. It's so self-aware and I love it because there's so many jokes about like the way that they're animated differently. Uh, Like there's like this whole running gag where it's like, they're like, Robin, you're three head Robin because he's three heads high. And then that Robin is six Robins, six heads high because like he's six of Robin's (laughs) bobbleheads high. And like they talk about like it becomes actually like a a very significant plot point. The fact that they have different animation styles. Interesting. (laughs) It's really, really fun. When did this come out? 2019. This thing was. So if you watch the Cartoon Network for anything, like if you watch Rick and Morty or whatever, when this was coming out, they went on a full blown like every blitz. commercial break was a media blitz for this movie <laughs> uh, coming out at the time, and it was like they literally had I'm not even kidding you like the weekend of the 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 airing because I did see it at the time I watched it the weekend of the airing they literally had like 12 hours until the premiere like on the top of the screen so this was like a major <sighs> thing for them for Cartoon Network. Uh, with this movie and it was funny i I really did enjoy it It, and it's always i'm always surprised at how much i laugh because i'm like i'm an adult (laughs) but (laughs) but but then i'm like i forget that this is so fun i felt the same thing when i went to go see teen titans go to the movies uh too but like especially having like my recent superhero tv stuff has been what the four-hour justice league WandaVision, <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I just restart. I started The Gifted because I want to watch that. It's also on Hulu. Oh, yeah. We yeah. Uh, we started watching Hellstrom again yeah. last night. So it's like it's all this like heavy, like we're serious stuff. And I'm like, I just want to watch Teen Titans go versus Teen Titans. 
<laughs> That's awesome, man. Hey, you got to keep you got to keep the inner child fed. Got to keep it light, you know. Everybody deserves a good time and a good laugh. That's what I say. All right. Does anybody else have any uh, comments or questions for Joey? I read Silk number one. I enjoyed it. Okay. Strong, strong. <laughs> I like that. All right. Aaron coming in with the uh, hot take. opinions there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I did enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed the – okay, so there was that dividing point between the, the first series and the second series. That they were a little bit different. And I don't know how I, – I, I agree with Joey. I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed the, the – I don't know what you want to call it, a relaunch – as much, um, I do hope that they return to something. I think they did more in the original series, and that is play on her t- that ten years in the bunker, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how that impacted her. So I hope they come back to that because you know you don't spend ten years in a bunker and then come out and you're well adjusted. So you got to figure something out going on mm-hmm. there. But um, and I, I appreciated that uh, you know that little thing and also that bizarre thing with her and Peter, that sort of pheromones thing was always kind of funny to me. But whatever, it's, mm-hmm. I hope mm-hmm. they go back to that. But I enjoyed it. <laughs> I forgot about the pheromones. She's, I forgot she's about a that great, too. great, great, great character. And if you've been wondering where she's been at, I, I, I recommended it last year all the time. But like the Agents of Atlas stuff has, was so fun. And I, there's really no, there's really no, nothing like cemented in the future for that corner of the universe with like pan and and I feel like they keep teasing it they well like so they did the atlantis attacks series and then they went right into king and black namor or whatever the heck it was and king and black somehow is still happening king and black five comes out this week i, I thought king and black five already came out like two months ago but evidently it, it didn't um so so i don't know maybe now that that's done there will there is a future for it because I think Greg Pak and, and the whole crew there did such a great job of building out that whole hemisphere of characters, uh, frankly, um, uh, that it would be a real pity for them to not show up anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll ever get like a Disney plus show based on agents of Atlas? No, no, uh, well, no. you got a Jimmy Woo. You never know. Yeah, but it's it's different. I I I I think I don't know. I don't think it would be anytime soon. I think an animated series would be cool. Um, but I think that they want to do an animated series of something like Big Hero Six or something. I know that they want to. They they did that, and they I'm sure they would want to redo that. But like, it was a really cool series. You had all those characters from like China and the Philippines and, and the middle East and everything. And they kind of just like all came together to fight dragons. And it was so cool. Um, but I, I, I don't see that as a live action kind of, uh, kind of thing. I, they might do an animated series. That would be cool too. Yeah. Might even be more fun than the, uh, the live action, but who knows? Who knows? They have a pretty big roadmap uh, ahead of them, but who knows? They could be building toward, they always have a plan, right? Yeah. But what's also great is like, you never know what characters are going to show up. Like we don't know who's in Shang-Chi, you know, right. like, we, yeah. we have no idea who's going to show up in that. The, the, the sword dude could show up. Wave could show up. Like anybody could show up. The character that I would love to see is Amadeus. Um, Amadeus Cho, I think is such a great character. I don't think that corner of the the Hulk verse 
is really fleshed out enough to support a character like Amadeus Cho yet. Well, we're getting She-Hulk, so maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, wow. It's funny. I We, we concentrate so much on the uh, main characters of the show and we wonder, oh, who they're going to cast? What are they going to do? That I don't really give too much thought into who they could introduce like through the back door of those things. Well, that's why like with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for example, the, the big reveals from episode two around, uh, I don't know if we want to spoil it, but I don't know if y'all talked about it, to be honest. Go ahead. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. But like some of the characters that they introduce, even in that, in that episode, I was like, Oh my goodness, here we go. Right. And the same thing with WandaVision with Billy and Teddy and uh, Billy and Tommy, sorry. Um, and all the conversation about what's happening in Hawkeye with echo and things like that. So like the way that they're backdooring in all of these characters and expanding the universe out via Disney plus, um, it's really interesting, but it's all still very like, <laughs> it's still very like U S centric. So like all these kind of more international characters we don't necessarily have yet. True. Very true. Good point. All right. Mr. Bob. Okie dokie. Say when. Shazadam. <laughs> Whenever you're ready. All righty. Uh, let me first apologize to anyone who thought I'd meet might be chatting about Hoppy the Marvel Bunny or the Inferior Five's heroine Dumb Bunny, as neither one will be mentioned again this evening, so I'm sorry. However, I will remind you that our good friend Stephanie Cook has a new Young Reader's graphic novel coming out on July 13th, which is entitled <sighs> Paranorthern and the Chaos Bunny a Hopcalypse, <laughs> with delightful art by Marie Costa. It's the charming story of a young witch named Abby and her best friends, Gita the Wolf Girl, Hannah the Ghost, and Silas the Pumpkinhead, who is definitely my favorite, and the shenanigans they get into when a protective spell of Abby's goes awry. If you love Kristen Godsnuck's Making Friends, and Volume 3 of that is also coming very soon, you should pre-order Paranorthern immediately. Next up, Return of the Valkyries number 4 by Jason Aaron, Torin Grombach, Nina Vakueva, Tamara Bonvion, and Joe Sabino. It was just a fabulous issue highlighting courage, compassion, sisterhood, Straight through the final battle against a headless celestial and null, except it isn't the final battle. I have to buy the Verschluckinger King in Black number five to see what happens. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the what? Verschluckinger. <laughs> it's Yiddish, German. Don't worry okay. about it. Uh, but uh, at least there's going to be another Valkyrie series coming in April called The Mighty Valkyrie. So we'll we'll have that. Hey, but, there we go. There we go. Finally, Captain America number 28 by Ta-Nehisi Coates, Leonard Kirk, Matt Miller, and Joe Carmagna speaks, as have all of this run has, to many contradictions and conflicts regarding the American ideal, particularly as to whose ideals should be the standard bearer. Uh, By utilizing the Red Skull to be the fomenter and inciting figure behind the radicalization of American men, Mr. Coates has added a new layer of malice to one of comics' greatest villains. Quoting Cap here, he tells them what they've always longed to hear, that they are secretly great, that the whole world is against them, that if they're truly men, they'll fight back, and bingo, that's their purpose, that's what they live for, and that's what they'll die for. It's just powerful stuff that's caused some commotion on the internet. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Book has loads of nods to Cap history including his stint with the New York Police Department back in the both Stanley and Steve Engelhart runs. There's a very magical guest spot, guest spot here. So 
Number 28 is setting up these last two weeks of Mr. Coates' run to be quite epic. That's it for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a, a... Go ahead, please, Aaron. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go, go, go. Um, Captain America, does Red Skull still have Charles Xavier's brain? No. No. Okay, thank God. <laughs> no, yeah. he lost that... Uh... Well, this Red Skull isn't... It, it's Alexander, Lu- Alexander yeah. Lupin, where he's got this, the skull inside him. So we yeah. don't know at what point that he will come busting out. Yeah, it's it's very much a thr- <laughs> yeah, oh. it's very much a throwback <laughs> to like when Brubaker was doing the Lucan thing. Yeah. Ta-Nehisi Coates has really done an amazing job of like, cra- the Red Skull is such an incredible foil first mm-hmm. cap. Like it's just there's nobody better. Like you could try anybody, any any you could throw anybody at him. Doctor Faust is with his freaking mustache. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Like it's, it's, it's red skull all the way all day. Like that's, that's what it has to be. And I think Coates has done just such an amazing job of using the red skull and Lucan and the power elite or whatever they're called Mm -hmm. um, to really frame a story around privilege and political power and exploitation and all of that. I wish that the artists could keep up with Coates's run. Um, There's just every couple of issues. It's somebody totally different or not totally different. Like it's just always slightly different. And I, I I feel like that book deserved a more consistent artistic vision. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and what's really sad about it is all of the people involved, uh, Leonard Kirk's done some really great work that we all love. It's just a little flat here somehow, a little rushed perhaps because of all these changes. And when every cover is Alex Ross, yeah, <laughs> it is really tough to open it up and go, oh, I wish it was Alex. Maybe, maybe he'll finish the book off. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why Coates's Black Panther run, I think, does have a unifying kind of like visual style. Like even with someone like Daniel Acuna, who's doing the, who did like the intergalactic Wakanda stuff, like even though that is a very distinct style and like some folks are just not into that. At least it was like, this is what's happening mm-hmm. in black Panther right now. And the same thing when stealth freeze was doing it, but is in the first volume um, cap. I just feel like every issue is somebody else, but like somebody who's like still kind of the same, but not really. <laughs> um, but, uh, but to your point, Bob, I think the story is just so good. And I'm actually, I did not know that he was ending with 30, um, so I, I gotta make sure I, I catch up. I'm about an issue behind. So, um, I want to make sure I'm there for the end. Both his books are wrapping up then. Well, he's got to go write Superman. So yeah. 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 Mm. I saw Michael B. Jordan in a trailer today for, he has a movie coming out Tom Clancy's without, without remorse. And man, does he look good in that movie? I would love to see him as Superman. When doesn't if they he look good? Choose to go that way. What's that? When doesn't he look good? No, but he looks like <laughs> no, he, he looks like Creed yeah. good in yeah. this. Yeah. No, oh that... man, when he was in Creed, mm. I just he looks like he could just put you through a wall, no problem. There's a scene in the trailer where that like he gets rushed by a bunch of armed guards and just takes them out, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. So I'm excited for that movie. He could put me through a wall. Hey, now, for the record, I'm the gay one, (laughs) to be clear. Hey, man, it's 2021. (laughs) Um, Bob, 
<laughs> Bob, I take it that you uh I mean you don't have to you don't have to tell us anything, you don't have to do a full review, but have you read the Power Power Northern? Yes. <gasps> Stephanie! <laughs> no, I got Stephanie. I got her I got her from the publisher. Did you really? Yes, Bob me, with sent, the hookups. They sent me an actual a book. It's in black and white yeah. at this point. But yes, I Oh, I, you I, got a black and white copy? I have a galley, yeah. Wow. Oh. Cool. Like gas upon gas upon gas. It's like, <laughs> yeah. everyone's like, it's like everyone's clutching their pearls. <laughs> That's really cool. That's awesome that you have that. Yeah. Bob is the biggest deal on this show. I don't know if our listeners know that. Stop. <laughs> um, I just also want to say Stephanie had recently announced on Twitter that she left her day job yeah. and that she is now Whoa. a uh, full-time freelance creator and an artist and writer and, and all the things and I just, if she listens to this, I just want to say congratulations because that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. How long till uh, we get Stephanie on Squirrel Girl? How do we, how do we make that happen? Uh, oh, that would I, be fine. I'd go. Okay, Stephanie writes it. Kristen Guznuk draws. Yeah. <laughs> CB, CB, are you listening? Listen, we got it. We got it for <laughs> are you. you. Listening? Are you listening, Sabolsky? <laughs> <laughs> Solve your problem right away. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Making dreams happen over here. But I, so, I do want to mention something about Captain America before I go. I won't mention the fella's name who created a whole comics gatey kind of thing going on about Captain America. But there's a right wing professor slash commentator, influencer, I guess you'd call him, who <sighs> was alerted to the fact that in the Red Skull's pronouncements in this book, they're using things that allude to this commentator's own philosophies that he's been selling books about to all these radicalized people in our world. And when alerted to it, it turned into a whole kerfuffle. I can't can't imagine I live in a world where they can take my philosophy and make it come from some Nazi. Um, Could you maybe be self-aware enough to know that what you're saying is Nazi-like? Would be nice. Just saying. So it was, it was, it's, to show you how powerful Ta-Nehisi Coates is, yes, he's he's now he's now pulling it all together and bringing all those folks into play too. It's great. Nice, nice. ruffle those feathers. I would love to see it. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. The real world sucks. Let's go back to comics. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, Aaron, you've got a book for us. Oof. Probably don't want to follow me if you think the real world sucks. <laughs> Yikes. All right. So let, let's do this then. <laughs> okay. So I just have one book this week. It's the other history of the DC universe number three. I've been going through these books as they come out. They're a little bit longer issues. Um, and they usually focus on a particular character of color. And this issue focuses on Katana. Um, and so uh, John Ridley, Giuseppe King, I'm sorry, Giuseppe Camoncoli, uh, and Andrea uh, Cucci. And so uh, essentially we, we, it's interesting how he does it. He does it in a way that sort of makes it just superhero enough for it to be a recognizable character, but just real enough for it to, to have impact into it, you know, with the other things that he's trying to align it with. And you'll get, a, you'll understand what I'm talking about as I go through it. So, you know, it basically starts out in 1983 Japan, where you have Tatsu Yamashiro um, basically having her life completely upended, you know, when her jealous brother-in-law 
uh, decides that if he can't have her, then no one will. And, and so he basically kills her husband and her and stuff leads to the death of both of her kids. Um, Jesus. Kind of a, yeah. Kind of a, a heavy start. Um, and this is kind of what puts her, you know, in this path because out of a, you know, out of revenge, obviously she takes the sword that he uses to, to, to kill her husband and he kills her with it. Um, and it was her, it was a katana. Um, and this sort of sets her down this path. Um, I'm not going to go into all the individual beats, but essentially one thing leads to the other, leads to the other, you know, sort of falling deeper, deeper in her despair and her sort of lack of connection to life. Um, it sort of makes her who she is. There's a point in the book where it, he, he talks about, and this is where I mentioned, where I mentioned earlier, he makes it superhero enough for it to matter, but real enough. As you know, uh, as you may know, the, the character of Katana often talks about her soul sword and the spirit of her husband, the soul of her husband existing in that sword. Um, and they have this partnership uh, that, you know, she uses, uh, you know, to, you know, to fight crime and do all the things that she does. Um, in this, they sort of discuss it as a myth, a legend, a rumor. She, she talks to it to sort of, she talks to the sword to basically continue to build out her myth, you know, her legend, uh, and it begins to grow. And this is what basically makes her, you know, the well-regarded hero or assassin, depending on which side of the road you're on, as she becomes, um, and, and, and she uses this. I think there's a point in the book where she says, you know what, I've never actually had martial arts training. The only thing that allows me to walk into a room and, come, and know that I'm going to come out alive is the fact that I really don't care if I come out alive. Um, and, and that's sort of the driving force. And that's sort of what pushes her further and further down this life. Um, I think what is interesting about this is that he makes a point through the story of marking um, how a variety of aspects of her life um, are impacted by what she experiences um, in these lanes and in, in, in her role as a woman is her, in her role as a Japanese in her role as a Japanese woman. And there's, and there is a reason why I break, broke those out um, as a grieving mother, I know as a grieving wife, you know, as a hero and, or as an assassin, there, there are points in the story where you get to see why she came to, to be, how she came to be and her, mentality, you know, around it and how that is impacted by the world, you know, how the world around her and the way it treats women and the way it treats, you know, uh, Asian women and Asians in general sort of impacts that. Um, there are references to some real world events. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember the death of Latasha Harlan and Eddie Lee, um, both of whom were young people, one an African-American female and one uh, an Asian-American young man who were both killed you know, senselessly because of, you know, uh, basically a, a race riot, race riots. Um, Vincent Chin, who was basically killed with, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a baseball bat by two white men who essentially were let free because, you know, quote unquote, you don't, you basically, they're not the quote unquote type of people that you put in jail. Um, it, it's, he really just sort of, he, he continues to sort of tell these stories in the shadow of reality using characters that we recognize uh, and basing who they are in the experiences that they would have in the real world as a person of color. Um, and there was one part that I really just thought stuck out to me. And it was really when she realized it was talking about the death of Superman and when she realized how as a Japanese woman, 
she it was so easy for her to be vilified. You know, she talks about the internment camps after Pearl Harbor and all those things. It was so easy for her to be vilified um, as an Asian woman. You know, in in light of you know 1983 America and you know things not being very good for Asians um, or Japanese people in general, Koreans as well, um, as you'll see in the story. Um, but at the same time, the world looks to an actual alien, Superman, like a god and has no issue with him at all um, and how that impacts her psyche. She talks about at times when, you know, after his death, you know, being jealous of him, you know, because of that, being sad by his, his, his death and, you know, all the things that go around it. I really do like the, the, the opportunity that DC is taking with these books to sort of have these conversations. There is a lot of conversation here about violence against Asians. And I just thought it was, you know, in the, in the world that we're living in right now, um, the timing of this book was was something I just wanted to sort of dig into and, and sort of see how they told the story, to see if the story was told well and, you know, and with respect. Um, I think it is. Um, I, I would encourage people to read it. I think if we could incorporate some of these experiences into the mainline books, I'm not a proponent of dragging down mainline books with, you know, too much reality. I get that they're comics. And I get that we want to sort of continue to live in that world. But I think it would only enhance the story and allow the stories to connect to people like us um, if we can base them or ground them, their experiences and their reactions in the realities that they would face in any world, you know, that I live in, that I, that I, that I exist in. Um, and I think Ridley does a really good job of that, you know, with these books. And so I, I definitely um, would, 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 recommend this. I think he, he once again, just tells a very realistic story of what it means to be in her case, a hero slash anti-hero um, anti-hero of color in the backdrop of a world, you know, with, with certain expectations of her um, and the reality of what it means to be her. Um, so I think it's a really, it's a really interesting story. I think it's very well told. It's, you know, it's about 45 pages or so, but it tends to be, these books tend to be pretty dense with, with text. Um, and it is really told in the, third person so it's it's sort of almost like reading in a diary um i i just i really enjoyed it so um there's some allusions to other characters there's conversations about um her observing jefferson uh, jefferson pierce's experience as black lightning um you know what that did to him the things that he lost the things that he experienced how that was similar to her um i just think it's really just a, an interesting conversation to have around heroes and, and is it are you, what it means to be a hero when the difference between being a hero when there's so much of the world that is against you versus being a hero when everyone worships you? So I think that's an interesting story to tell. So that's my book. Oof. Nice. Cool. I love that you're bringing these uh, books and these stories to the show, man. You always manage to find these really empower, like powerful and incredible character driven stories. And, and I just love it. My question for you is this, mm -hmm. these stories, do you think that they could ever exist outside of these small pockets in the comics verse? Like, let's say if they weren't going to introduce kind of these, these heavier and larger themes in the DC EU, could they maybe do what's the, the online service that DC has DC unlimited yeah, or something uh, infinite. Infinite. DC okay. DC infinite. infinite. What if there was like a DC infinite black label TV uh, side? Not where man, they, they got they, rid of TV. 
Well, I mean, it's on HBO Max now, but I see your point you're making. Oh, right. I, I, I do. Here's the thing. I personally, and I pause because my perspective might be different than your perspective, depending. Um, as a person of color, looking at a person, a character of color, I don't know how you don't tell those types of types of stories or you, mm-hmm. you don't at least reference mm-hmm. them. I don't necessarily believe that you have to, you know, every time you, you introduce an African-American character, tell the history of slavery in, in the U.S. No, I don't I don't believe you have to do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's OK to, to mention that it exists and it existed and that it has impact. And I think that is why I was so excited for Milestone to return, especially the icon character, because his character is literally based in that. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally an alien that comes to Earth and, and you know, basically takes the shape of the first thing he sees. And the first thing he sees is a young slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is raised as a slave. Um, and those experiences shape the way he views the world. And I, I, and I think it's still made for a great character. It made for a well-rounded character. Again, I, I'm not saying that you literally have to give the entire history of you know, race in America or race in the world to tell these stories. But I, I think you're shortchanging and you're, and you're down, you know, you're, you're speaking down to readers if you don't at least um, reference that they existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that could happen. I think, it, I, I think it should happen to be honest with you. It's why it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I, I like how a television show like Falcon and the Winter Soldier has been incorporating these kind of very real bits of history into how they are framing kind of blackness and whiteness in the country in regards to the two characters. It's why we love books like Miss Marvel on the show. And, and I was into what Jean Luen Yang was doing with, with Shang-Chi. Um, and, you know, I'm really, it's really cool to hear that there's, an, there's one of these other side of the DC universes with Katana in it um, to kind of, broadening out what that kind of idea of who are the characters of color in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Katana is a very interesting case because Katana very easily becomes in a lot of stories and films and whatever, as the kind of exotic silent Japanese yeah. character mm-hmm. with the sword and the crop top, you know, um, who doesn't say much and is, is passive until she needs to be a kick-ass character. Right. And we've talked on the show often about these kind of problematic kind of orientalist tropes that, that these characters often, often fall into. So I'm glad to hear that, that, um, that this issue is kind of digging into that. And, and as you're saying, kind of like, speaking truth to this character for whom that truth is obviously part of their experience. Mm -hmm. And the best stories are going to be the ones that incorporate that, not necessarily center them as the central conflict, right? Like we also talk on the show often how, as you were just saying, Aaron, like if you're going to tell a story with black characters, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be trials and tribulation and slavery every day, you know, like, like that's the thing. However, the the notion that that is part of the experience and part of what informs identity, I think, is 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 important. Um, so it's it's cool that it's happening, and it, it's something that I I wish, you know, the next time, not the next time, but like I I wish Katana showed up in more books outside of like, freaking Suicide Squad or whatever, mm-hmm. and that she, she was able to have a, a fleshed out kind of personality and identity and background that incorporates this history in a meaningful way. 
um, and doesn't fall into those tropes. And they actually talk about that. They, they, they go through her time multiple times in the outsiders and they go through her, her stint with, uh, uh, suicide squad. And I think actually, no, actually they talk about the justice league international, but not really go into it. Yeah. They talk about in some ways, the reasons why she, you know, was in some of those groups and, and what it meant, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. I, a lot of it was emotional. A lot of it was, you know, this is how the world sees me. A lot of it was, I, I really want to be this person now before I didn't care. Now I kind of do. And it's an interesting story to be told. Hmm. Ooh. I don't know how to follow that up or pivot from that. <laughs> so John Guys, I'm making, I'm making me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> John, would you like to uh pick up the stick? Hey guys, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Seriously though, Aaron, uh thank you. That's awesome. I uh I got it. How many more of these these other history of the DC Universe books are we going to get? Do you know? I think it's I six have issues, no isn't idea. it? I, I was just going to say I would assume six. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea. Yeah, um, you never know. And, uh, you know, and this, I mean, they got the right guy. I mean, this is an, an Oscar-winning writer you got here, John Ridley. So this is, yeah, I, they got the right guy to do this. He's he's taken his time. He's really given it some thought. You can tell he really understands the history of the character, but really given it a sort of a. Uh, a slightly more realistic twist. I do love the way that he played up this whole soul sword thing. He's like, it's really myth and legend. And, you know, if you get the myth and legend to be big enough, then people will believe you. But here's what, what's really behind it. Here's my tragedy. Here's my pain. Here's my, you know, pain of loss, pain of living in this patriarchy, pain, you know, all these things. So, yeah, I I, 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 must, I think it's six, but I, I, I honestly, I'd be fine with them continuing to go further. Yeah. Speaking of pain, you know who likes to inflict a little bit of pain? Oh, God. Batman. <laughs> That's a hard segue right there. <laughs> Look, I got to do something, right? <laughs> John, why don't you talk to us about Batman? Batman and Catwoman? Uh, you got Batman, Catwoman number four. Uh, writer Tom King, art Clayman, colors Tomo Murray, and letters Clayton Cowles. Uh, so the Tom King swan song continues as fractures in the bat cat relationship become strained in at least one of the timelines. Uh, in another timeline, Phantasm is still on the hunt for Joker, bringing her into the confrontation with Catwoman. Uh, Joker, uh, spoils a holiday party because this entire series is apparently going to take place at Christmas time, uh, by placing a bomb under Gotham's ice skate rink, um, while in the future, Huntress is on the trail of Joker's killer, and through inters with, interviews with a geriatric rogues gallery, uh, her hunch of her mother's involvement is paying off. And I will just say as a caveat, if you are a fan of penguins, the, the bird, not the, <laughs> not the criminal, uh, avoid this book. Yeah, stay away, uh, Jess. Stay away. <laughs> yeah, if you're, yeah, this is not a Jess book. Um, we got about. Let me tell you something. Stray Dogs number two is getting a little bit into that territory as well. I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. And then I read issue two and I was like, uh oh. There's some violence in animals lately in, in some books that I've been reading. And, and I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, this book, you got about, I mean, a third of the book is done. So there's 12 issues. It feels like it's kind of spinning its wheels. 12 issues might be a bit gratuitous. It probably could have been done in six. 
And the art is still very questionable in spots, especially with the Catwoman. And let's just say she doesn't need to have a confrontation in her underwear every issue. Um, Then on to X-Men number 19, writer Jonathan Hickman, art Mahmoud Asrar, uh, colors Sonny Gao, and then letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So you got Wolverine, Darwin, and Sink still investigating the vault in the, the Children of the Vault. Uh, this issue picks up after the explosive conclusion to last issue and then covers centuries of the investigation because time moves much quicker inside the vault. Um, so you got investigations, confrontation, and evolution. This might be the most Hickman issue of the run since. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> since Powers of Ten and, and House of X. Uh, you got timelines, you got text pieces, beautiful artwork, uh, a very satisfying conclusion, um, a bit of a tearjerker with some promise for uh, uh, some future escapades down the line. And I'm sure that this story is far from over. Uh, and then the cap to the week, Beta Ray Bill number one, writer and art Daniel Warren Johnson, colors uh, Mike Spicer. And letters VCs Joe Sabino with some help by Johnson. This book captures the tortured soul of Bill in one issue that has not been done since his creation in the Mighty Thor number 337 in 1983 by Walter Simonson. Wow. Bill is lost and alone amongst his friends. He feels no purpose and out of place and completely misunderstood among the Asgardians. Uh, while those close to him reassure him that he is worthy, they disregard his feeling and purpose without a thought. Uh, well, this is masked in a king in black, and I will be—I will be honest. I was scared last week when Steve told me that this was a king in black tie, and I was like, "Fuck no!" Um, but <laughs> but this book has little to do with that, other than having a symbiote encased fin fang foam, which is always a delight. Um, this book is going to be internal discovery, finding one's purpose in life. Uh, I would say for fans of Johnson's deeply personal and emotional murder Falcon, you will not want to sleep on this as Johnson is no doubt going to break our hearts again before slowly showing us some light and leaving us completely satisfied, hopefully. And I am done. Does Fin Fang Foom wear pants? Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes he has little purple shorts on. Who do you think makes those? He's got Where does he get them? He, he's in his cave and he stitches them with his little arms. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I'm totally picturing Fin Fang Foom just like hunched over and knitting and just like, ah, these massive hands of mine. <laughs> he's, got a, he's knitting his purple shorts and then once in a while, like something will bonk him on the head and he's like, ah, oh, damn it. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, I'm taking the waste again. <laughs> Uh, I'm just wondering about Fin Fan Foom and uh, his sewing skills now. That's all I want to talk about for the remainder of this show. Uh, X-Men number 19. They did it. Woof. Yep. They did. Oh, that was, oh, let me tell you something. That was the first thing that I thought when I saw that I bought it and I, and I picked it up before I opened it. I was like, yo, if this doesn't pick up for the last <laughs> issue left off, I am going to be, I'm going to laugh myself silly. And then I opened it up and was like, oh, we're still in the vault. Sweet. What's going on? Uh, I I absolutely loved this issue. It was great. The, it was great. Oh, my 
it was amazing. It was yeah. so good. The Laura stuff in particular was so gripping and mm-hmm. all the, the different timelines and all the, all the things, even reading the charts yeah. of like the, what had happened during the passings of time. I was just like, Jesus Christ, I want to see that story too. <laughs> it was a great way. Like we, we make fun of those text pages every week. It seems like with the X books, but those text pages in this issue in particular that like, you know, you'll get four pages of massive tracks of land, massive tracks of, of time and space watching these three survive. And then you'll get a text page of even more time. And, and they were really effective in like making you feel how long Darwin Sink and, and Laura were, mm-hmm. were like trying to survive the vault. Um, right. Cause it's hundreds of years. It's, it's yeah. hundreds of yeah. years. Yeah. So yeah, like I, when they, I, when this is done, when they come out, what like, is it going to be Tuesday yeah. for everybody else? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it yeah. is. Well, it's been yeah. a couple of weeks. Cause there's one text piece that I, I was just totally engrossed in. It's like sink, dug, dug a hole, spent a week outside and then came back in. And it was a hundred years later. Yeah, it's it, it just cool stuff like that. Uh, and, but the way it ends, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but not everybody remembers all those years. Mm-hmm. That confused me a little bit. That, go that, ahead, go that, ahead. I was going to say that confused me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then I had to stop and think about it, and I realized that that connection. I, I'm assuming it was that connection that was made just in the nick of time. Yeah. That that that's a, that got yeah. his backup. Yeah, so that's what I had to think about that yeah. for a second. Because in the say- vault, Xavier can't back them up. He can't yeah. download their memories. Mm-hmm. But in the second that that, that that he is outside, he's able to, to grab it. Mm-hmm. I will say 99% of the time, I completely... Oh, okay, I'd probably say 92% of the time, I skipped those text pages. This <laughs> time, I, I actually made the effort to go through, and I was like, okay, I... I I, at one point I skipped it and then I was like, no, 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 let me, let me go back and see what's happening here. It's a really impressive issue in it, in the scope of it. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, there's an emotional resonance to it, which I think is a testament to, to the, to the writing and the art and just like the, the story of these three characters just struggling. And, and, but, but the way that the, it's sequenced, the way that each panel is this little snapshot in time, the way that you watch these characters literally grow and age through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real testament to like the form because <laughs> you couldn't really do this kind of story in any form, but comics <laughs> really. <laughs> um, so it, I think it's a really great kind of exercise in, in the comic book format. Yeah. Yeah. What was that issue that we read, Bob, maybe you can help me out here. Was it a wonder woman issue where we spent, the whole issue, seeing them interacting with kind of like an antagonistic character. Yeah, she was visiting or... visiting a villain in prison. Yes, yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, that was very, very well done. Yeah, but like how the you really felt the passing of time in that story as as you kind of went along that journey. This had that same that maybe not the same effect, but something similar to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this was this X Men issue was just. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Speaking of ridiculous, uh, Batman Catwoman <laughs> number four was all of that. John, you are completely right. It does seem as if it's 
really slogging along. Yeah. How are we only on four? Yeah. Again, because of the <laughs> delay of all this, it seems like it should be at about number 16 at this point. Mm-hmm. It should and be it, done. It's, it's, <laughs> it's sort of kind of reading that way in its own convoluted way. What seemed interesting in the first issue has now become a little trite for me. I'm in. Yeah. I have to finish. But I got to tell you, the art is really getting to me. And Every issue, there's a scene. Yeah. And I'm not sure which, which cover you have. I have the Clay Man cover. Dr. Wortham uh, would be appalled. Yeah. There's what I he would that. call yeah. a torpedo cover. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 Gravity apparently doesn't apply to Catwoman. Mm-mm. No. All right. Uh, Are there really 12 issues of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's going to be going well into next year. Next December. It's Christmas time all year long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because that's what we need. Strange Adventures is at nine, though, I think, this week. So that one's almost done. Yeah, then I'll read it. Yeah, same. Is that how many issues is that? Twelve. And Rorschach's twelve. I guess apparently he just does twelve now. Oh, man. Is anybody reading Rorschach anymore? I'm getting it. I'll read it when it's done. I was just going to say, I'm like, I'm getting them, and they're (laughs) sitting there staring at me. I I read like two or three. I read about, I think I read four. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> that was, that was, so, Beta Ray Bill. We've talked about this stuff on the show, like talking no, stuff. Is. Like, we, you start it and you're like, this is cool. And then you read another issue and you're like, I need to reread issue number one. And you and you get to a place where you're like, I'm just going to wait until yeah. it's done and I'm going to yes. read it and I'm going to like it a lot. But the way that he uses the form, the way that he transitions, it's just, mm-hmm. it can, it, 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 you read an issue and you feel like what happened. Um, so you're always rereading and always rereading, which is fine. But I, I mean, if, but because we read so much for the show, I'd rather just wait and read a chunk of it at a yep. time. Yeah. Indeed. Beta Ray Bill, your homework from last week, John, yes. was to read this book and tell me whether or not I need to buy it. So what say you? I think you need to buy it. Oh, uh, I think you'd like it. I think I will too. It's your boy. It's your boy, Daniel Warren Jones. I know. I know. Look, I'm trying to be good. I said no to like four books this morning. I, I had them in my cart and then I said, no, his, I haven't gotten your stimulus check yet. <laughs> his artwork is, he should, he needs to draw like a, just an Asgard book. It's so perfect. It's got that metal vibe to it. And, and he's delving into how Beta Ray Bill became Beta Ray Bill because, it, I mean, he's almost got a Superman story with his planet was being destroyed. And he's lucky enough to get chosen to be experimented on to protect them all. And, and it, 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 it's, it's emotionally grabbing. It's, 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 I think you would like it. That sounds awesome. For somebody who loves Rata, Beta, Rata Bay Rill, Beta Ray, uh, Bill. Beta Ray Bill and knows very little about him, that is me. I've, he's yeah. appeared in a couple of books that I've read, and I just always find him interesting and fun, and I would like a, I would like a good Beta Ray Bill story, so I will have to uh, dive into that. I will say I'm glad that they're sort of – they're telling this story – for him, because I gotta be honest, when Thor did to him what he did to him, yeah, I was sort of like, "Well, that was like the highest level of douchebaggery." Yeah, what that's your that that's about? your friend, and you just yeah. did that to him. 
And just, I'm glad that, like, yeah. And just left him there. It's like, yeah, okay, well, that's done. I'm glad anyway. they're picking up on that in this story. Yeah. I, I, I was worried about that. I was like, wow, mm. I'm going to throw away character, but okay. This is good. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And I just want to apologize on behalf of everybody on the podcast that you didn't get any lightning at the beginning of your lightning round. I couldn't. Oh. I, I didn't deserve lightning. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> Don't uh, don't sell yourself short no, because no, I'm true. about to go. Transition that was a hard transition. You got a Shazadam for that. I'll take a post Shazadam. Shazadam, post Shazadam. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, speaking of beginnings, let's talk about a number one comic. Listen. I've been taking shots of whiskey over here to prepare for this, so you just let me do my thing. Okay. Okay? I have no notes this week. Feel bad for me. Time is short. Somebody put the timer on. I had to watch Colorado Space and more Hellstrom. All right. Green Lantern number one came out this Tuesday, and this is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by, are you ready for this? Dexter Soy. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Marco Santucci. Tucci. Tucci. (laughs) Colors by Alex Sinclair and letters by Rob Lay. Have you ever seen, of course you've seen it, the Charlie Day meme of him trying to explain everything with all of the lines on the different maps and he's just crazy pointing everywhere and trying to talk his way out of the, that's what I feel like right now as I think about all of the everything that happens in Green Lantern number one. Have any, has anybody else read this thing yet? I read it. You did? Yeah. Okay. So I feel like they took every aspect of Green Lantern history that ever happened ever and condensed it into this one like debut issue. There was, I'm exaggerating, of course. There's a lot going on in this book. It opens, and John Stewart's just like, Lanterns, cover the civilians now! Everyone fall back! Shit! And you find out that there is essentially, there's this like summit happening because somewhere along the line, Superman was like, hey, listen, you know, you're out there trying to protect different parts of the galaxies and the omniverse and whatnot. And you all fight a lot. You've got all these different colors of the spectrum. You need to all chill out. You should create some kind of an alliance where you all work together to protect the spaceways and whatnot. They're like, eh, we're going to put it to a vote. So we're going to invite everybody to this big summit and we're all going to take a vote on whether or not we're going to induct everybody into this new parliament and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, there are a bunch of people that not only do they not agree with the Alliance, but they have a problem with the new Teen Lantern who is now running around because Teen Lantern is using a gauntlet of sorts that has Green Lantern-ish technology and they want to study it. They want to find out how without a ring, this thing never loses power. How is this Teen Lantern wielding this thing? What does it mean for the rest of us? Is there another power source that we could possibly tap into? We want to take it off of Teen Lantern. We want to pull it apart and we want to find out what makes it tick. She says, get the hell away from me. You're not taking my glove. And she, she's amazing. She's she's attitudinal. I absolutely love her so, so, so much. 
Oh God, what else is going on in this book? Uh, there's lots of guardians talk. There are aliens everywhere in this thing. Some like fairy tale frost queen shows up and she's like, I don't like the look of team lantern and what she's doing with this gauntlet. I'm going to cause a whole bunch of shit for you and summon a monster. And then everybody's got to take care of business. And then something really shocking happens at the end that I was like, Whoa, these are not peace talks. <laughs> anyway, that's green lantern. Number one, I, <laughs> <laughs> the only Green Lantern that I've ever really been exposed to, I've read Blackest Night and I read a whole bunch of the new 52 stuff across like the whole uh, Green Lantern spectrum of books. And I had a really good time with it. I just, I overburdened myself with Green Lantern at one point in my early talking comics career. And I never went back. With the exception of that, uh, what was it? Like a Green Lantern standalone graphic novel, uh, Earth One Green Lantern or something like that. That yeah. was Anyway, that was really good. I, I enjoyed the hell out of that book. But uh, this was awesome. Like, I'm definitely lost. I definitely don't know enough about the Green Lantern universe to appreciate everything that's happening here. But... I love the kind of Lord of the Rings, Tolkien-sized lore of just the Green Lantern-verse within the DC. And I want to get reacquainted with it, and I want to learn more about it. And I really like a lot of these characters. I like Simon Boz. I like Jon Stewart. I like the new Teen Lantern, Jessica Cruz, who was not in this book as far as I could see. Uh, Hal Jordan, me! It's all right. Uh, and then some of the other guys, I can't even remember their names. Um, and some of them I'm not familiar with. But anyway, Green Lantern number one was a ride. There is a lot going on. So if that sounds like something you'd like to jump into, uh, you're welcome to do that. Next up on the list, I'm going to dim the lights a little bit here. <laughs> I'm going to buy everybody a ticket to France because that is where we're going for a sister. That's A dash and then the word sister, not a sister like a sender or anything like that. Uh, a sister. Let me get the creative team out here. Ba, ba, ba. Art by Bastion. Uh, oh, God, I'm going to mispronounce this. Vives, I'm going to say. V I V E S. Vives. Uh, and this is from Ablaze Publishing. Uh, Bastion did the story and art. So this is a sweet and very French coming-of-age story that tells of the summer that Antoine met Elena and discovered a true love for the first time. It's a tale of young love, raging hormones, and exploration between two consenting teens, Antoine uh, being a curious 13 years of age and Elena being an attitudinal and slightly more experienced 16-year-old. This book made me feel like I was watching a high-end indie French film starring teenagers and their budding young love. If these types of stories make you uncomfortable, you might not want to read this book. I will admit that there were times where I kind of needed to take a breath and remind myself that I am... Cult I don't want to say culturally barren, but like there's a lot that is lost on me within different cultures. I definitely need to do more homework. And so maybe some things that are more widely accepted within French culture that I don't know about are included into this book. And I was like, 
you need to chill, man. <laughs> and you need to remember what it was like to be a little kid. And so it's basically about this young boy going on this vacation with his parents. Something happens to a family friend and they come to stay with them for a couple of days and they bring their daughter and the daughter kind of introduces him to a bunch of things about himself that he is exploring and learning and whatnot. And it is a really, really tender story about first love and that person that kind of awakens you to things. Um, I'm trying to be mature about this. (laughs) When I was growing up, I'm going to tell a little story here. When I was growing up, I grew up on a beach house of a family friend, John Campbell. John Campbell's daughter, Heather, very much when I was young, would be the Elena character in that she was from California, platinum blonde hair, tall, talented. She surfed. She did uh, all kinds of uh, art-related things. She was into photography. And my being as young as I was, I was fascinated by her. Every time that we would stay there, go there for bonfires or for the Julys or for the weekends or whatever, she would always be hanging out. And she was that girl for me that was like, wow, she's incredible. And so a little bit more than a crush. And so I totally saw parts of myself in Antoine's character and just really love the overall vibe of the book. The art is kind of minimalistic and nice and breezy and you're on the beaches and there's like this cool, like sandy and white and black uh, color scheme to the book. It's absolutely gorgeous. And apparently it's going to be a feature film down the line, soon to be a major motion picture starring and directed by Charlotte Laban. So don't know who that is, but I can look it up. And yeah, so anyway, it was really good. I, I, I enjoyed my time with it. I definitely giggled a little bit to myself as I went to some immature places, but what are you going to do? Next on my list is A Thief Among the Trees, an Ember in the Ashes graphic novel. So this is story by Saba Tahir, scripted by Nicole uh, Andelfinger, art by Sonia Lau, and colors by Kieran Quigley, and letters by Mike Fiorentino. Here's the deal with this. This comes from Saba Tahir's Ember in the Ashes novel series that I've not read, but Bronwyn has. So this is a prequel graphic novel to all of those other novels. And essentially what you have here is three friends that are a part of this warrior sect of this kingdom. And they have been tasked with going to this remote island where a very dangerous poison is being manufactured by this enemy faction. And as a part of their induction into like the guard you have to go to this island and you have to steal some of this poison and bring it back to your people. If you go and you don't succeed and you come back and you're kind of like, eh, it was really hard and you know, I, I wasn't able to do it. Uh, they just straight up kill you. They're like, you're not good enough to be in this group. You're done here. And they just take you out. So either you succeed or you don't. So it's a very competitive situation. There are other kids from other sections all going after the same thing. And so it's very cutthroat. And uh, it was great. It was really, it was a lot of fun. However, however, I don't know that it was particularly reader friendly in that there was a lot of mentions, I believe, of 
kind of sections of their government and different bodies of this, you know, warrior guard that are protecting their people that I had no idea what they were talking about. And I think this was something that was very much built for people that have read the novels. And so the name dropping of things or places or people every now and again, I felt like I was supposed to know what that was and absolutely did not. So that was a little bit of a detractor, but like the core story of the three friends kind of surviving this island and looking to retrieve this poison and how it all goes wrong and how they need to think their way out so that they don't return and get killed. Uh, it gets very cutthroat after a while. And there's a you know really big emotional beat at the end. And uh, you can definitely pull a good time out of this, even if you don't know what the, uh, what the overarching story is for the rest of the novels. But uh, a little lost, but a good time. And last but not least, I have finally started the grand reread of Rainbow Raul's Runaways last night. So every issue, I got them all. And I am, I started last night, I'm about five issues in and I'm, I'm in it to win it. I'm going to go all the way to the end for our next show because it is just wonderful how they, how they, how she picks up, how Rainbow picks up the threads of the stories that came before and builds off of that with Chase going in and saving Gert and bring her back to the group and the group being disbanded and Molly being in an awkward position and Nico feeling the way that she is at the start of the story, Gert kind of not understanding or not really being able to grasp that two whole years have passed and everybody's kind of gone their separate ways. And for her, it feels like it was, you know, yesterday. And so she expects everybody to still be together. She doesn't understand why people are feeling the way that they are. And she's just feeling very lost within the group. And it makes for some really, really emotional stuff that I really, really bought into and just love that character and love all of these characters. Really, the book looks great. And I really can't wait to keep going and see what else is in store for these characters. Because I think I only read it for a certain amount of time. And then I dipped out like somewhere in the teens. And so we're at like issue number 35 or something like that this week. So I got a long way to go. And yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to read it. And uh, now you can ask me questions about my weird French book. That's it. I only have a question about Green Lantern. Okay, go for it. Did they retcon Teen Lantern's uh, backstory? Because I remember, and apparently Mocha has a thought about it as well. Um, I remember in the Infinite, was I think it was the Infinite, whatever book that just mm-hmm. came out, they said that she, they wanted to study her or something like that because how brilliant must she be that she created this gauntlet? But in Young Justice, the way Bendis wrote it, she found it on a believing no. guy hanging who's in a, in a dumpster somewhere. There, can I? You want me to take this, Steve? Go ahead, yeah. right. please, please. <laughs> They're worried that she's found the gauntlet of Kronos that started the entire crisis, the uh, anti-monitor and the monitor. Um, so they want to test the the gauntlet to make sure that it's not uh, this all powerful ancient weapon. Okay. And so, it, no, she didn't build it. They're going with she found it. Okay, and good. then 
and then the whole I, I love how Steve summarized the entire Bendis run of Superman in yeah they're starting this government it's cool um, that, that's the whole um, planets uh, the the government of planets that will lead to the Legion of Superheroes a thousand years in the future that they're establishing in the book today hmm. how was my recap John was it pretty terrible no it wasn't terrible it's just it, it, it there was there, it was. There's a lot of Green Lanternish stuff in there. That that there's so much. You got. You've had to read almost everything going back to, even pre, almost going back to like when uh, um, Alan Moore, and then uh, the whole 1980s. I can't. I can't think of his name. Um, he drew Watchmen. Gibbons. Gibbons was on the book. Uh, there's yeah. There's just a lot of stuff here. And I think that they're 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 consciously making it Hal Jordan not there. And then they said that um, Cruz is she was somewhere else. They mentioned them all. Yeah, she she did get a mention yeah. for sure. And Hal was he was there, but he was like a hologram. Yeah, because he's on Earth trying to persuade Earth to join the this new intergalactic government. Uh, no, it was it was good. There was a it was dense. It, I mean, they could have probably. I mean, I appreciate the fact that they did so much in one book, but it it it, it was convoluted at places. I don't know. It, it was a lot. I don't know if I'll be back until I might just pick up on uh, Infinite Frontier, Unlimited DC, whatever, whatever Joey refers to it as. What is it? DC Infinite uh, Unlimited. Yeah, DC Planet of Beyond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I feel like if I jump off, that that'll be it for me. Like if I don't, and I also don't know if after a month goes by, how much of this am I going to be able to retain? And then do I have to go back and read the 44 page phone book that this thing is with yeah. all the events that happen? Cause it's just, there's so many characters in this one issue. I, they introduced so many people. They did, but I, I, this might sound dickish, but I don't care. Everybody who writes a Green Lantern book wants to write the same Green Lantern book. We've mm -hmm. this conclusion. We've seen this. It's not. It wasn't shocking to me because we've done this story three or four times in the last twenty years. Um, mm -hmm. I, I kind of get tired of the the Owens and the Guardians and and their the the way that people you know just kind of bow to them, even though they they've screwed over the universe time and time okay, again. Okay. Okay. You're going into what I what I wanted to ask next. Does does anybody even like the Guardians? No. Cuz they piss me off. Does anybody like cops? <laughs> what about space no. cops? Preach. Does anybody like <laughs> white old men ruling the galaxy and doing whatever the hell they want? Aren't no. they blue? They're blue. Yeah, they're, okay. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> One guy's name is Earl. <laughs> there's ganthet over there there's i just find that each time one of them comes into the story and it is every green lantern story i've ever read mm -hmm. every time they come onto the page for that first time I'm just like oh jesus the guardians are here yeah what 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 do you want well that's part of what that's part of what like far sector is about too yeah 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 but new issue of that this week by I'm the excited. way excited yeah that that's a better green lantern book oh well yeah but it's the the best green lantern i've ever read not that i've read a whole lot but you know what i mean 
Uh, okay. So there you go. There's uh there's some books, there's some lightning rounds. Chicka chicka. Chicka chicka and boom boom. Let's uh <laughs> let's see here. Let's talk about some movies. Movies. Movies, Bob. Bob, yeah. would you? I would very much like to hear about how Saturday went for you. I know that you weren't feeling too hot on Friday. How did you fare with everything? And how did you like Godzilla versus Kong? I was about seventy percent normal on Saturday, so just okay. about where one would expect. So decided to go ahead and went to a cinema. So oh, before we even Ooh. begin. Let me say big thanks to my friends Dawn and Ed and their kids, Sydney Quinley and Ash, for always looking out for their cranky old Uncle Bob. <laughs> and went to the Stony Brook Cinema. Capacity 494. Listed as sold out, and there weren't 100 people in the place. Mm. They kept okay. everyone separated by a lot. Got it. We had our own little Sorry. row, which was, which was good. <laughs> They did concessions much differently. There was no cash changing hands, everything by card. They got your soda. You were handed a little cup of popcorn butter and salt packets and so on and so forth. They did a marvelous job at trying to give people a good feeling about, yes, this is going to be okay. Did they have gloves? Everyone working was wearing gloves. There were face shields everywhere, big ones, the plastic ones. Okay. Uh, dividers at the registers, divided everywhere, enough security that people weren't just wandering. And everybody, as a patron, was wary of that. You were you allowed to pull your mask down to, as they put it, I, I turned this into a joke, as long as you're enjoying your food and drink, you're okay. So I said, well, what if I'm not enjoying my popcorn? What if it's too buttery or something? <laughs> no one thought it was. Wouldn't that be up to you if they hand you the little, yes, well, they should, little pea cup of butter? They should, they should, <laughs> they should watch their language there. It could change the way you're doing things. Now, all, all that said, as, as a motion picture, Godzilla vs. Kong certainly picks up on the threads from the three previous legendary MonsterVerse pictures. We have some really, yeah. really ludicrous science. None uh -huh. any uh -huh. sense. We have some human characters, some of which are really annoying. Uh -huh. And for all saying all that, I enjoyed the heck out of this, and I had a really great time. And seeing it in IMAX really, yeah, really just knocked everyone's socks off. We had a great time watching it. I'd love that you could make a Godzilla movie that had the, the gravitas, the dimension of the original Japanese film from 1954, despite its rather uh, antiquated looking special effects. In this day and age, with all that's been going on, a giant monster throwdown with some really nice heart to it, with characters being the monsters doing what they do, some some fun stuff going on. I think it's anyone who's looking for this to be something really above and beyond just that a fun monster romp is is gone to the wrong theater and look at the wrong thing. That's okay. That's yeah. for me. <laughs> All right, listen. 
when that dude at minute like seven was like, every time we try to go to the hollow earth, gravity inverts. I was like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of this. The, the, I loved the, I could only imagine watching this in IMAX. It, it, I could imagine it being just totally spectacular. Yeah. Those, those brawls between mm-hmm. big yeah, old Kong and big, so yeah, good. incredible. Everything else in this movie yeah. is awful. It's awful. <laughs> the science jargony yeah. nonsense, the human stuff, even the characters that like cross over from the previous Godzilla movie. I totally did not care. For, yeah. Totally wasted here. And like, I, it's hard because it's, it wasn't, none of that stuff was bad per se. It just wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the right it wasn't like the dude. Right Brian thing. Tyree Henry's character looked like he'd escaped out of a Transformers oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, but but I always like watching him. I, here's what I'll say. I like him too. I, I I similar to to what Bob was saying. I had fun with it. It was great. I didn't. I don't need to watch it again. I adore Kong Skull Island. I love yeah, that I movie. I think yeah. that movie is out of the four, the best out of the four. Before watching, isn't it just three movies? No. The Brian, the Brian Cranston one doesn't count, does it? Yeah, Brian Cranston one counts. That's, yeah, dude, because that leads yeah, directly into King of the Monsters. Yeah, Sarazawa was in that. Yeah. Also, there's a Sarazawa in this movie too. Surprise, no backstory. And, and, yeah, they don't <laughs> even mention that. Oh, I guess <laughs> yeah, they're related. Yeah. Um, the the Brian Cranston Godzilla. I watched all three of them in the week Me leading too. up to Godzilla vs Kong, mm-hmm. and there are, there are kind of redeeming things from all all of them. But I think Kong Skull Island is the one that like after watching Godzilla versus Kong, I was like, I want to go back and watch Kong Skull oh, Island yeah. because I think Kong Skull Island has all of the kind of fun of the giant monster movies and all the kind of like <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I also think that there is um, kind of like a genre experiment going on and, and a bit of a kind of thematic core that uh, I don't know if the other movies movies have um but the 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 effects on this movie were just incredible godzilla versus kong and as Um, and as dopey as the hollow earth is it looks it looks amazing it looks amazing but i was like the guys just started talking and i was like dude like who who directed this who wrote this like who decided that at, at the center of the earth, you could burrow all the way down and you invert gravity that there is going to be. That's where the land of the dinosaurs now lives. Well, it's got its own sun and waterfalls. <laughs> Come well, on. The the hollow earth earth theory, knew all about it. Come on. No, because the hollow earth theory is introduced to Kong Skull Island. Yeah. It's it's what uh, uh, what's his face comes up with. John Goodman. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, no, it's the it's the kid, oh, the kid, the kid, yeah, uh, uh, Corey something, I think. But then Joe Morton plays him in the as an older version of him in Godzilla, mm-hmm. King of the Monsters. Yep. But anyway, what when they talked about it, they were just like, yeah, Hollow Earth. It's a series of tunnels in the Earth's core that allow these people to like mo- the monsters to move quickly. And then someone came onto this movie, and they were like, Hollow Earth is just an Earth inside yeah. of a hollow in the earth and they were like yep that's it that's that's what we're going with and also gravity is inverted you need someone in the room to just be like but what if we don't do that 
<laughs> I, before, before I sound too negative about this movie, I do want to state for the record, I did have a lot of fun with it. I think there's about any time that the monsters were fighting the the sea battle. I thought was really entertaining. The stuff in uh, what was it, Hong Kong, toward yeah. the end. Oh, the beautiful, battle. beautiful. Yeah. Oh my God, how many people though? But all of the all of the big fight moments were just spectacular. And I have to admit, I thought about you a few times when we were watching the movie, Bob, and we we're like seeing these giant action sequences. I was like, ah. Oh. Bob seeing this in IMAX with a killer sound system. And it probably looks crystal clear. And oh, and I was very, very jealous slash happy for you. I think there's about 50 awesome minutes in this two hour movie. And the rest just broke me. I cannot remember a single character's name from this movie. And I did not like Millie Bobby Brown in this film. I usually like her a lot. Uh, she was great in the Enola Holmes movie on on Netflix. Go check that out. But I I felt so stupid by the end of this movie. But I did enjoy it. I did have fun with the fights, and I was very surprised by the way it ended. It was a little abrupt and uh, no teases. I guess they're done for now, unless they uh, hashtag continue. The MonsterVerse. Well, it was the biggest yeah. movie of uh, quarantine yeah. so far. They don't have the rights from Toho yet. No, no, they lapsed at the end of last year. Yeah. So they have to re-up if they're going to do it. And right. somebody somewhere is still dreaming of that Pacific Rim MonsterVerse crossover film. Yes. <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd watch it. Too. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, did anybody else see it? Anybody I, else want to give their thoughts? I enjoy. It. I watched. I've seen it like three times now because my son is obsessed with Godzilla. So I watched it alone nice. on Wednesday morning because I took the day off, not because of this, but it just happened to coincide. Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the, yeah I, I checked out at the science. Um, the whole. I didn't even. I didn't even care <laughs> about the. I didn't even ahead. care about the Skarsgård. Uh, I can't even think of his name. It's Alex Skarsgård. Yeah, the, the character's name. Um, I like. I, yeah. I did like the girl, the little girl from yeah, the yes. and Rebecca Hall. Right, I love yeah. that's the best subplot for me too. I had no. How do you put a? How do you put a, a giant dome over Skull Island without Kong knowing it's there? And it's invisible. It's <laughs> it's just. But and then the other part is like when Godzilla just starts breathing his electric or his atomic blast. How is that exactly where the throne room is in Hollow Earth? But you just got to check out. Yeah. And, and that's that's exactly what I did. Uh, my my son loved it. The the battle on the, the the fight on the aircraft carrier was phenomenal. The the Hong Kong stuff was great. Uh, they they evacuated the town so. Uh, I, there's no way. <laughs> no, you. They, yeah, they they evacuated the town except for the people you see evacuating, getting stepped on. I love that they bring in that that I can't think of his name right now, but that actor. He does the one scene where he just like we evacuated the town. Well, well, um, uh, go. <laughs> oh goodness, Lance Henry, Lance well, uh, Lance Reddick, Lance Reddick, yeah. I mean, he's such a great actor. He's there for that scene. Oh, I'm, just, I'm so confused by like all of the humans in that movie. Like all of them, like even like mm-hmm. Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown. I was just like, what? like, why are you here? 
Um, Lance Reddick, they were supposed to have Zhang Ziyi and Jessica yeah. Henrik uh, do a do a cameo too, and it was just like, like what, like what, what, what did you want this movie to be beyond a lizard and a gorilla man punching? Yeah, <laughs> like why do we need anything on top of that? <laughs> it's almost like we, we have these people under contract. Well, let's bring them in. We'll we'll find something. We'll for find them to something. Do. Yeah. <laughs> I would have liked to see um, uh, John C. Riley cameo because I loved him in Kong. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Or um, I also love that the like Millie Bobby Brown's kid friend is the kid from Deadpool too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Playing oh, for like the world of people. Yeah, and playing like the same character but without firepowers. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I I don't know that I want to spoil it. He does something toward the end of this movie that I, that's when I threw my arms up. In oh, the man. Air. It, it makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's how I solve everything too. <laughs> Everyone, whenever I have computer problems, all these people seem to know more about things than they should ever possibly know. Yeah. And it keeps the movie to a brisk hour and 40. I'll give them that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I'm willing to accept that shorthand the way they did in fifties oh, yeah. movies. It's just it, it, just just go ahead and have some fun. And, well, when, oh, absolutely. When Alexander Skarsgård is like, oh no, all of the pilots are gone. I'm gonna fly this like proprietary <laughs> helicopter that like no one knows how to fly. Out of I was like, all right, whatever. Earth, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna do it. Yeah, oh, man. it's a it's a buy the ticket, take the ride situation. You <laughs> yeah. totally have to check out at the door. And absolutely, you go into it for the the giant uh, Titan fights, right? And it's great. Yeah, yeah. The, the human the human characters well, are never the driving say, driving force of the movies. But but I think for the previous films, I think that they actually did a good job of elevating the human characters in the previous three. Yeah. But that's not what I was going to. But I'm going to butt something. I think else. better in Skull Island than they did in King of the Monsters. Yeah. But my question is. And this also is about the future of it. There's some kind of suggestion in in this movie, Godzilla versus Kong, that like Godzilla is the only Titan left, or like he's like the only one still around. It's very ambiguous. Like I thought it was implied that the others went back to Hollow Earth. Yeah, Godzilla's right. Godzilla's kept the peace for the previous. And then everybody else has gone back or has gone back into the. Okay. 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 Because yeah. I was like, at the end of King of the Monsters, man, they're all bowing to Godzilla, and they're just like, all right, we got this army of monsters. Let's like, let's go, like, fight some gorilla people. Like, let's do it. But uh, yeah, I didn't get that here. So, but it was also implied at the end of it that they were like restoring the world to its natural balance and all the g- green energy, and that just seemed to be gone. Gone. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Anyway, it was a good time. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> it was. Anyway. Good. It was fun. It was a fun hour yes. and a half. Go and check it out. Why not? Uh, speaking about checking out movies, I, after last week, I needed to get my my cage fix. Well, and and we got to get like a theme music when we start doing our talking Nick Cage <laughs> moments. <laughs> I, uh, the theme from Wicker Man, been, maybe. Yeah, there you go. The oh, I have yet to see the that bees, one. I haven't seen bees, that yet. The bees, not the bees, not the bees. Doesn't he like punch a bear in the face? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Oh, man, I need to see that movie. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. <laughs> I just watched that again. So, every time every time that Bronwyn and I decide to watch a movie together, I go into our, our nerd cave and I just pull a bunch of stuff out and I hand her the pile and I say, here, 
whittle it down, and then we'll we'll come back around and we'll figure out what we're going to watch. So we figured out that we were in a weird mood. And so I handed her uh, Possessor, I think Brendan Cronenberg's Possessor, which I've yet to see, and Color Out of Space. And I said, Bob very much wants us to see Color Out of Space. We should check that out. So we popped it in and we watched it. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was so good. It was so good. Not only was it good, but it was like, it was better than I hoped it would be. I didn't know how, I always question how far are we going to go into the Lovecraftian elements of these stories? Are we actually going to do it? Are we going to see those horrific things? Or are you just going to kind of like dabble in it a little bit? Is it going to be in the background and we're going to tell a different story using the Lovecraftian lore only so much? I Maybe Bob can definitely speak to this better than I could, but for me, this was very Lovecraftian and only got more so as it continued on. Uh, if you don't know what this is about, it's basically about a family living on a farm and an alien rock of sorts, if you want to think of it like a, a meteorite, lands in their front yard and it gives off this light that isn't necessarily perceptible but for us in the film has this kind of pinkish brightness to it it almost looks like when you throw uh like water on gasoline and you see that that rainbowy swirly colors that that come about it's a little bit like that well, the thing is in the in, and, the in the story just just to interject for a second it is yeah. a color no one has ever seen before there you go which when you read that you can almost envision it showing it on the screen becomes a problem but I think right. they found a nice way to do it. It is very eerie. Right. So we're so we're watching this movie and the credits are going. And of course, I see my man. I see Nick Cage and I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm home. This is it. And then we see um, Madeline Arthur, who we enjoyed very much from the uh, P.S. I Love You movies. And then and then they drop right at the end. It says, and Tommy Chong. <laughs> and I went, yes, because I know exactly what they're going to do with him. And they totally did. He plays a character named Ezra who kind of lives out in the forest. And so this rock crashes down. It gives off this, this horrific light that no one's ever seen. It does stuff to their brains and to their bodies. And it creates this like vegetation and this slow creeping death crawl of flowers and insects. And it is just, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Once it's a little bit of a slow burn, but once it gets going, it doesn't stop. And if you're looking for kind of the, the horrors and the creatures of Lovecraft, there are definitely some of those in there. And that was the stuff that I was hoping for aside from, from the elevated madness aspects, which I already knew were a part of the film. The trailers don't really give you any of the, the horrific visuals and nightmares that you're going to meet in this movie. And eventually you do. And I thought they looked great. And, and I just, I just had so much fun with this. We, we got to the end of this movie. We both looked at each other. We were like, that was kind of awesome. Yay. (laughs) Um, so yeah, thrilled to hear you enjoyed it. 
Oh, absolutely. Two two thumbs up from me. I, I really enjoyed the heck out of it a lot. Here's uh, the thing. As, a, as a short story, it is certainly one of Lovecraft's most known works. It is... Depends on whose version of the list you could make. It is or isn't part of the Cthulhu mythos. Because mm-hmm. the themes are there, if not the usual monsters by name, books of weird stuff. There's no Necronomicon, so on and so forth. Oh, there is one on screen, a paperback copy yep. <laughs> at one point that Melorothus character Lavini has. Actually, I have, I have a copy of that on my rack over here. But what it, what it really gets so right is that impending doom that yes. certainly as things start to change in little bits and pieces, you see this family begin to crumble from within. So it is an update and it changes some things. But what it gets right from that story is that feeling that it's just oppressive as things go badly. And you, you root for these people. They're really good people. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think that the I think that Nick Cage uh, and his his wife, let me uh, Teresa, played by Jolie Richardson, I think they could maybe go to some parents counseling for how they speak to their children. But other than that, they're really they're really likable people. Sorry, okay. Bob. Um, gotcha. All right. Um I thought that some of the some of the ways that that the the mother spoke to Lavinia uh, got under my skin when she was commenting on her outfits and, and the vibe that she was putting off to the um, the Benny Gardner character. Okay, I thought she's, that was uncalled for. Well, she, uh, without spoiling too much, she as a mom has gone through an awful lot. Hmm. She's a cancer survivor in this. She's watched, uh, I'm sure, months or years of her family coming apart at the seams with her not being able to do anything about it. So it's about mm-hmm. reigning control into her daughter, who seems somewhat troubled to begin with. So I think mm-hmm. there's there's that element to it. So yes, is she exerting too much control? You could be, yeah, that's a good take on it. But it's not from hatred or violence or anything else. It's about trying to be protected. no, 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 right. Um, so, so where we go with this is is to the the madness that is Lovecraft. This is a much better version of it than when they did it with Boris Karloff as Die Monster Die back in the sixties. There is an interesting German version in black and white done about ten years ago that has some charm to it. This for a very small movie does a lot of things really well. The effects are really well presented. Mm-hmm. I I took a flyer at it, bought it from you know Walmart or something. It was sitting there on the shelf. I was like, wow, okay, this came out already. I'll buy that. I liked the Nick Cage performance in this. It was interesting in that nowadays when I see him acting and he's not doing rage of the cage stuff it almost feels like he's holding it in as he's as he's trying to act like a normal father type figure but he still has that nick cage delivery and gravitas to every word that comes out of his mouth i really enjoyed him in this a lot and he definitely turns it up to 11 uh at one point in the film and that is my one major problem with the film okay he at a certain point has that moment in the car. Yes. And from there on, 
the performance he's been giving of this sort of modulated madness goes to 11. It goes to somewhere else and occasionally flashes back to the other part of it. And it's a choice. And the director, Richard Stanley, went for that choice, as did Mr. Cage, who's executive producer on this as well. Uh The thing of it is, for me, that isn't the energy everybody else is giving off. Right. So it really, to me, stuck out as odd. Now, it's a movie filled with odd things. So you could take that as saying that's what it should have been. For me, though, the it, it, it diminishes everybody else a little bit because now they look smaller in proportion. And yet I think their take on it is better than his for the le- for about 20 minutes of the last 40. But not, okay. a, not enough to change my opinion that this is a really, really neat Lovecraft adaptation. And for the most part, he did a really good job. When he comes back around to the more haunted version of it as opposed to the Rage of the Cage version. <laughs> awesome. Uh, really quick, I want to jump over to, we have a, a listener question for this week. That's a Lovecraft question. We might as well hit it while we're talking about Color Out of Space. Uh, after this comes from Dallas. Um, after last week's Lovecraft talk, what are the group's favorite Lovecraft stories? What are some other short stories you all enjoy? Uh, love the show. Thanks for accompanying me on mic mute. So, Bob, is there any chance? Can you give us a quick breakdown of your favorite yes, Lovecraft without stories? Without going through like 40 of them at once. Uh, certainly yeah. uh, at the Mountains of Madness, which has sadly not ever been made into the movie that Guillermo del Toro wanted. That, mm, that story that. is in essence what John W. Campbell borrowed in air quotes to write Who Goes There, which became The Thing from Another World in the 50s, and then John Carpenter made as The Thing. At the Mountains of Madness is deep, deep Earth's history and an expedition finds that it's all much different than we thought because the guys from out there were here first. Uh, The Dunwich Horror certainly is a masterpiece for Lovecraft. You bring in all the out there elements of it, the Necronomicon and Wilbur Waitley and the, the famous ending that I won't give away in case someone wants to read it. Whisper in Darkness, uh, again, it's the lore. These are all Cthulhu Mythos stories, and for one that isn't, it's a very early Lovecraft piece. It really got his, there's a tension. I got Dagon comes first, but it's The Outsider, which will which will chill you, absolutely. So those would be, those would be my Lovecrafty things. All right. Uh, this might be a little bit faster. Does anybody else have a favorite Lovecraft story? Wow. <laughs> That's what I thought. Uh, we, we went through this last week that I am actually just beginning my Lovecraft journey, if that's what you can even call it. I do own the text and I am going to go back and start reading some of the stories. I will probably have Bob along a dictionary and Bob to coach me along through some of these stories. And uh, yeah. And then I guess, does anybody have any just short stories that they enjoy. I can't think of any that come to mind. I, I read very few novels and just like how I don't always get into anthologies and the short form stories in comic book stuff. Uh, I don't 
read a lot of short stories. I like to stay in the story and novels, full novels are more my thing. So, uh, Aaron, do you have any favorite short stories at all that you can think of? I'm really trying to, th- oh, sorry. I'm really trying to think nothing that I've probably read as an adult. Um, I think the only, uh, what was that book? Oh, Brokeback Mountain. I thought was a well-told told short story. That was kind of a short story. Um, but other than that, I don't know if I could even say that I've read a significant amount of short stories. Um, I want to say that I've read some Clive Barker short stories. I was that just I really Books of Blood, that. maybe? Yeah, The Books of Blood. Yeah. yeah. I think probably some Neil Gaiman, too. Maybe some Stephen King. Did a lot of oh, yeah, there's definitely the got to be a Stephen King in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, I've probably read more short stories than I thought, but I'm sorry, Aaron. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. no. I, I, I think that was it. I mean, I, from a short story perspective, I think that was probably all I had. Unless all I right. went back to like childhood and yeah, good luck with that. Uh, what about you, John? You got anything? I was well. It's funny you said Barker. I was thinking of the Hellbound Heart, which became the Hellraiser. Oh yeah, the Hellraiser. Yeah, that was. I remember in high school. I, I was. I read Lovecraft in high school. Um, and I like I liked all the the Cthulhu stuff, but I remember Barker. I really got into like uh, his really big novel novels, but I really liked the Hellbound Heart back then. Nice. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily a short story, but it's not a long book, so maybe that counts. But uh, if you ever get your hands on the Thief of Always, oh yeah, yeah, is one of my absolute. I always say that it's my favorite book, but I haven't read it in forever. Uh, it is, to my memory, one of the best books ever written, period. So there you go. Uh, Joey, Mr. Uh, Mr. Teacher Man over here, you got you got to have something for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should, right? You don't yeah. have anything? <laughs> no, I, 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 I obviously teach short stories all the time. There's a couple that, that uh, I have read recently that I, I, I would recommend um, one of my new favorite authors. His name is Charles Yu. He wrote a book last year that uh, won many awards, which is called interior Chinatown. It's a fantastic, fantastic book written as a, as a kind of a, a, a film script in, in novel form. It's, it's fantastic, but he also wrote a short story called fable that, um, you can find it was either in it was in the Atlantic or the New Yorker or one of those. Uh, read it. It's an incredible, incredible short story. It's a character who is speaking to a therapist, and he's narrating his life as though it is a once upon a time fable. Um, and over the course of the story, you kind of get a sense of why he's in therapy in the first place. Um, and it's just really wonderful. Charles, you also wrote a book. It's called, it's like how to survive a science fiction story or something <laughs> like that. Really, really wonderful author. And I, I'm really getting into his work now. Um, you mentioned Neil Gaiman, uh, WB Du Bois story called the comet. I really like as well. It's a little very early kind of sci-fi there. I'm just I just picked up Octavia Butler's uh, short story book as well, so definitely check those out too. Awesome. Yeah, a couple, if you don't mind me, just running down a couple here from, nope, from the other up. category. This is the first one, probably more on novella than a short story. That was sort of, it's sort of longest short story. Richard Matheson's "I Am Legend." 
which has mm-hmm. been made a couple of times into oh, movies, yeah. only only once really successfully to my uh, way of thinking, which is as Last Man Earth with, with Vincent Price back in the day. Uh, Harlan Ellison's I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, been anthologized a lot, though apparently one of his, the biggest one for him in that vein is Repent Harlequin Said the TikTok Man. I mentioned Robert Block last week. If you're a fan of such things, you should read yours truly, Jack the Ripper. But the master of the short, and particularly the short short stories, a fellow named Frederick Brown, who they've made some movies of his stuff. There's a Star Trek episode called Arena that was from uh, his work. But he became very famous for writing ultra short stories. One very famously called Knock, which only runs 10 pages, but it opens with, there's this really wonderful horror story that is only two sentences long. The last man on earth sits alone in a room. There's a knock on the door. Dot, dot, dot. Ba, 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 right. And he, he said the horror is in those ellipses. But Who what, is it? Ah, you have to read it to find out. Who's at the door? <laughs> He's the last man on earth. So who's at the door then? Not a man. I'm really confused. Uh, You're ruining it, Joey. <laughs> uh, the other is called Answer, and it really is only one page. And I'll try to cut this down as much as I can. All the 96 billion inhabited planets have come together to uh, link all their supercomputers so that as a peaceful galactic situation, uh, civilization, they can answer all the questions that have been waiting for them. So the day comes. Uh, Dwarev threw the switch. There was a mighty hum, the surge of power from 96 billion planets. Lights flashed and quieted among the miles-long panel. Dwarev stepped back and drew a deep breath. The honor of asking the first question is yours, Dwarren. Thank you. It should be a question which no single cybernetics machine has ever been able to answer. He turned to face the machine. Is there a god? The mighty voice answered without hesitation, without the clicking of a single relay. Yes, now there is a god. Sudden fear flashed on the face of Dwarev. He leaped to grab the switch. A bolt of lightning from the cloudless sky struck him down and fused the switch shut. End of story. Whew. One page. All right. That is quite the yarn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. I'm looking at the clock here. We're going into some some harsh two-hour territory. We've got some people that have only had about two hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. That is not good. We need to keep everybody nice and healthy. Let's do Loki so and is, get out of here. This is my long way of saying, hey, Robin, we're going to hit your question next time. I hope that's okay. Um, I had my answers all prepared, and I'm excited to talk about it. So we will get to your question. And we also have another question from Lee that we're going to save for next time. Yeah, it just came in not too long ago. And um, yeah, let's just wrap up really quick. I personally, I've not watched the Black Widow, the new Black Widow trailer just yet. I feel like I've seen... I'm hyped. I'm I'm more than ready for that movie. We have a you know a solid date for that to come out in theaters and on uh, Disney Plus. All I don't I'll need say, to see All I'll say from the new trailer is it confirms that we're going to be getting some flashbacks to young Natasha. Ooh. That's all that that it confirms for us. Okay. Nice. Okay. Uh, the other thing I want to say is go and check out a trailer. The trailer for this movie called Mainstream. It's from Gia Coppola coming out. It's uh, It looks pretty interesting and weird. And I like interesting and weird movies. So Andrew Garfield 
and Maya Hawk from Stranger Things and Little Women and other things, and Nat Wolf and Jason Schwartzman. So good stuff. Possibly. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but I will. I'll watch it. And what else do we got here? All right, let's quickly talk about the Marvel Studios Loki series trailer, and then we're going to wrap it up. I am super excited for this show. It looks like there's a lot going on, and I still think it's weird that Owen Wilson is in a Marvel thing, (laughs) but he looks to be doing an awesome job, and it looks like he's a pretty significant character. Um. What is, oh god, what is um her name? Um um Gugu Mothara. Gugu Mothara, that's it. Uh curious about her character as well, and just the overall look of the facility where Loki is being kept and the spy-like mission that he's going on. I just I had no idea what this show was gonna be when they announced it. Now that I've seen more of it, I'm I'm excited for this one a lot. So, Joey, what do you think? I agree. I think that the the, the I was getting Legion vibes from the kind of like retro seventies aesthetic of the, yeah. the the T the T the Time Variance Authority, whatever it is. Um, but then the purple in some of those kind of action sequences. I mean, Tom Hiddleston is a very interesting human being. He's very charming, very great actor. He looks great in that wig but he's very tall and kind of like, he's got that classic like matinee idol look mm-hmm. to him. And um, I, I, it'll be really great to kind of see him at the core of the series. Uh, I'm going to predict right now, make a prediction. I think Loki, uh, I think Loki's going to bite it one more time in this series. You think so? Oh Yeah. I think I think because here's the thing I'm I'm thinking about I've been thinking about this for the last two hours if y'all as y'all have been kind of just like yammering about comics and stuff I've been thinking about Loki Um, uh, I I think that uh, one of the things that I find very interesting about the show is that arc that we saw him go on through Dark World and uh, Ragnarok and Infinity War, that kind of redemption arc you see Loki go through and the way that he changes, obviously is no longer the case for this iteration of him. Right? So I think that you're going to get that same kind of emotional arc condensed into these six episodes and then the same resolution will be happening. No resurrections this time. <laughs> well, this is the Loki from Avengers who picks up the Tesseract. So just what you're saying, Joey, absolutely. He has a new journey to go on mm-hmm. with a different shepherd, so to speak, in Owen Wilson. Looks like a lot of fun. Definitely flashbacks. There's one clip of the trailer, one little scene in the trailer. I'm not going to spoil yep. for anyone, but people should watch for that mm. at the two-minute mark yeah. or so. It was a- I tried to pause that mm. to get a good look at it. I must have rewound at least seven times to see if I could get a, a good look as to what exactly was going on in that scene. And I have my thoughts. I would be shocked if they actually revealed that in a trailer. So I think I think I call shenanigans on that. <laughs> so if contrarian. If we're talking about if we're talking about the same kind of beat think so. that we're all I think we're all talking about. Uh, he's having a what looks like a conversation with a character on a, on yes, a, on a, a, a rock side chat uh, yeah. of a certain, in a certain color palette. 
Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, really? They're going to show that in the trailer? Which makes me think that some strange things are afoot at the Circle K. This is what trailers do, though. They bait you. They say, like, did you see it? Did you see it? I I bet you didn't see it. I understand that. I'm saying they're baiting us. And there's going to be something else going on. Yeah. They spent spent an entire series of WandaVision baiting us with things that we could have theories about and so and so they're doing it again the festo the whole time but then we didn't need we didn't need no what no. if what if that what if that character actually is mephisto <laughs> yes who do you think is under the black robes Loki. that's running around you think it's an is it but is it going to be another tom middleston or are we maybe going to get a different version of loki the big reveal is that at some point in the trailer, everyone's going to Mission Impossible their face, and it's going to be Tom Hiddleston underneath the mask. Lots of Lokis. <laughs> I don't. I think there will be lots of Lokis. Oh boy, I'm excited! I'm excited. Uh, Aaron, did you get a chance to check this out? I did. Listen, I said it before. I'll say it again. Loki can't carry a whole thing for me. So you have to fill the screen with characters who are just as strong as him. And this trailer gave me the impression that they did that. So I'm more excited about it now than I was before. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love Loki in the movies, but he had his role in the movies. And I think because of the way they wrote him in the movies, it's. I think it's difficult to they packed all the personality and all the things into those scenes. And I think for me, it would be difficult to sort of sit through that for six hours, you know, of, yeah, six hours. So you have to give Loki the right type of characters to bounce off of. And I think based on this trailer that they did that. So I'm more excited about it, but we'll see. I mean, again, I, I the whole, the whole menagerie of that, you know, that, that whole, it just, I, I do like that they are sort of going outside of the box. And interestingly enough, I have to say when you, it, I don't want to say this to make it sound like I'm crapping on it, but WandaVision and Loki, and then you sandwich in Falcon and Winter Soldier. It just makes Falcon and Winter Soldier seem a little bit plain to me now. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Talking to the Winter Soldier is the most conventional of the bunch. Yeah. I have to say there's more to that show than I thought there was going to be. I was a little cold on the trailers that they were giving us. And surprisingly, the show has given me a little bit more in the social commentary and digging into the characters and talking about life after the blip yeah. and stuff like that. But stylistically, so, there's nothing kind of... No, yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. It, it, it does... Is there like now like a house MCU style and that's what we're getting with that show? It's still very good. It just it feels a little plain Jane against things like WandaVision and Loki coming out. Then you have all these new characters ready to make their debut. And it just it's a little it's a little weird. It was also supposed to be the first one and not the second one. So maybe we were supposed to continue with that vibe and then WandaVision was supposed to come along and let you know, like, hey, we're we're gonna change the field a little bit. Hmm. So anyway, still still enjoying it a great deal. Can't believe it's half over already. John, I'm not gonna ask you for your opinion about Loki, because I know that you love it and you wanna see it. And uh that's that. I've put my foot down. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Alrighty then. 
What, John, what books are you looking forward to next week? Um, books? Uh, no, let me, I'm pulling them up right now. Go to Aaron first. Oh. All righty. Here we are. See, see how this whole team thing works? All right. <laughs> Uh, what am I looking forward to? Marauders 19, Excalibur 20. And this seems kind of quick. Didn't we just get an Excalibur? Anyway, yeah, like last week. Yeah. Yeah. Far Sector 11. Uh, seven Secrets, number seven. I'm excited about that. Uh, <laughs> America Chavez, number two. Commanders in Crisis, number seven. And Bliss, number six. Nice. Joey, how about you? I got a long ass list this week. I don't know what happened. Yeah, happens. you do. Uh, I want to read Silver Coin number one, that horror anthology from Image with Michael Walsh and a killer lineup of writers with Zadarsky and Kelly Thompson and Ed Brisson. It's like, what? Uh, America, America Chavez number two, Immortal Hulk number 45. Uh, we already mentioned Excalibur and Marauders, Seven Secret Seven. Dear DC Supervillains is coming out. I don't know oh, if you remember. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the DC Superheroes, Dear DC Superheroes is so cute. So I want to check out Dear DC Supervillains. Um, Buffy 24 comes out this week. Will this be the week I finally do my Buffy catch up? The answer is probably not, but 24 is coming out. So, so we'll see. Um, Aaron, did you mention project patron? I did not. It's a new Steve Orlando book. I'm just going to throw that out there for you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. He did talk about it on his Instagram. All right, I'm adding that to my list. <laughs> there you go. Bob, how about you? Let's see. Sensational Wonder Woman number two, also America Chavez number two, Marvel Action, Captain Marvel, buying but not looking forward to King in Black number five. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, a quick, real quick, what is the deal with that sensational Wonder Woman? Is that one creative team or a bunch of creators doing different stories? We're right now, what my thought is it's going to be short arcs by different creative teams moving forward okay because i saw some pages from the latest issue and they looked incredible i was thinking about picking that up there you go okay pick it up until it goes to someone you don't like that's what you do there you go uh aaron do you know what uh oh i'm sorry john do you know what you're doing yeah uh, just uh marauders excalibur and then i already got green lantern and then batman 107 yes I, too, picked up The Batman. Uh, Far Sector, of course. Green Lantern, America. Excalibur, Marauders, Runaways, number 35. Uh, I'm going to pick up Deep Beyond, number three. That's that uh, crazy Mirka Andalfo sci-fi giant titan squids on Earth thing. Uh, I read issue two last night, and it is really weird. Fear Case number three is also coming out, and I am continuing on with The Last Witch number four. Uh, I'm also picking up The Silver Coin and Seven Secrets number seven. And I said no to some other DC books, but I might go back and pick them up anyway. We'll see. I have to make some decisions. I can't read all the X books and all the new DC books. It's just not going to happen. All right. So that's everybody's books. Does anybody have anything, any closing statements? Yep. Yep. All right. I'll do this as quickly as I can. Uh, A very important comics creator passed the other day. The thing is, most people, including comics historians, might not even know who she is, despite having worked on one of the most important books of all time. Her name was Joy Murchison. She passed the other day at age 97. She was the first woman to write Wonder Woman. 
as a 19 year old in 1943, assisting Dr. Marston and Elizabeth Marston on the wow. She wrote uncredited stories for years and years, particularly after Dr. Marston became ill. And I guess her major credit would be in Wonder Woman number 28 from 1948, the Villainy Inc. super villainous book length crossover. But Joy Murchison wrote Wonder Woman for years and years and passed this uh, just the other day at age 97. So kudos to her and our best regards to her family and fans. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Bob. Appreciate that. All right. Anybody else? If that's it, then we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcasttalkingcomicbooks.com. Send those recordings in. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've also got talkingcomicbooks.com where you can find reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. And if you like this podcast, be sure to go and check out ladiesofvahala.com, as well as the Progressively Horrified podcast. Let's see. Bob, where can our listeners find you? Old-fashioned email. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Joey? Old-fashioned email. Joey at TalkingComicBooks.com. Yes! That's right. You killed your social media. You're still going with that. I killed them all, yes. Wow. I'm jealous. Aaron? In full REM sleep. Um, <laughs> oh, or also at Aaron J. Amos. John? At John P. Burkle. <laughs> Sarah is at Geek Country Lady, Jessica's at Jarska for all the things, and Bronwyn is at Shiny Baby B. I am at Dead underscore Anchorus on Twitter and Instagram and wherever else. So for Bob, it was Beauty Killed the Beast. Joey. I had a really clever thing to say from like 45 minutes ago. I was like ready for this <laughs> callback and I, I forgot it. Aaron then. <laughs> Voter suppression sucks. <laughs> Sean. Why do I keep following Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> it's the order that you come on to the show. That is the that is the order that I go in. Seniority. I yeah. get that. I got it. What was my joke? I can't remember. Jesus. You've been thinking about Loki for two hours, so yeah. let it go. No, I can't remember. I'll remember next week. All right. <laughs> it sounds good. Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we hope that you had a lovely holiday over the weekend. Thanks again for your patience as we tried to put together a replacement episode for last week's show. Sometimes these things happen and we just want you to know that we think it's really cool that you were cool with us. All right. Until next time on the Talking Comics podcast to be continued. My friend had 104.7 fever. I was like, dude. <laughs> That's fucked, man. I used to get 105s pretty normally when I had, like, when my Crohn's was really bad, when I was around, like, 16. Yeah. And hallucinations were real. What? I have seen some shit. So you were like Nick Cage in that movie. 
little bit, man. I told I this super quick, and then we'll get started. We were in Puerto Rico when I had one of my absolute worst attacks of Crohn's ever, and I spent more than half the vacation on a couch, and I was watching Hole Unplugged on MTV. <laughs> and they went to commercial and I decided to get up and go for a walk. I walked out onto our patio and looked down and I saw the sidewalk and it was right outside of our, of like the lip of our patio. And I'm like, I'm not going to go all the way around the hotel. Like I'm just going to put my leg over. And I'm just going to go for a quick walk and get some air. I'm throwing my leg over. I'm about throwing my leg over. My mom just screeches and runs over to me and grabs my shirt and yanks me back into the house. We were like 14 stories up (laughs) and I was about to go for a walk and it was bad. I was laying on the couch and the ceiling fan. I asked my sister to turn the ceiling fan off. She goes, it's not on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it got real bad for a couple of years there. Courtney Love has um, that effect on people. Yeah, my room turned into an anime once while I was watching Akira. My TV started to bleed, and the whole rest of my room went cartoon for about seven seconds. Were you just screaming, Tetsuo? Yeah, Kanina, help me! There's this podcast called uh, This Is Actually Happening, and they have these like people come on and they just like tell stories of crazy things that happen in their life. And there'll be stories like, you know, I was... Uh, in a, I was in a mass shooting or like I was, I was kidnapped by drug dealers or something like that. And then we listened to one that was like, I smoked a bad something and now I only see things in two dimensions. (laughs) Whoa. Yep. Yeah. And like, he has to like go to the hospital and like take medication and like go to therapy because like his perception of the world is totally skewed now because he took some bad drugs. Damn. (laughs) I ate half a bag of mushrooms once and thought I was Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Oh God. Let's do this podcast. (laughs) 